0: Sit back and relax. It is time to listen to the old-time radio daytime shows. We hope you enjoy the program.
1: Standard of California, on behalf of independent Chevron gas stations and standard stations throughout the West, invites you to Let George Do It adventure of george valentine personal notice danger is my stock and trade if it's so far
2: over your head you can't even reach it with a skyhook you got a job for me george valentine write full details
3: dear valentine here's a laugh a private dick falling for that screwy head of yours her name is joe logan we ran across each other a couple of times but that's not important here's the deal I'm meeting somebody at the Half Moon Motel tonight. I'm not the sensitive type, but something about this ring's phony. So if you read about me in the obituary column tomorrow, I want you to cry murder, good and loud. and close a hundred bucks for your trouble.
4: A hundred bucks for your trouble. But if you hear my sweet gravel voice over the phone before noon tomorrow, forget the whole thing and buy yourself a drink. <laughs> Sign Joe Logan. Uh-uh,
2: I'm not buying that, Angel. It's two-part. Joe Logan knocked off by a hit-and-run driver last night of all nights.
4: Yeah, but don't forget it says here that Mr. Logan had his customary full when he was clipped by that car on a deserted stretch of Whitman Highway. And
2: not too far away from the Half Moon Motel. Better put your ear stoppers in, Brooksy. Huh? Yeah. I'm gonna cry bloody murder the way my client wanted it. Good and loud.
5: Look, Valentine. I don't want to be antisocial, but the only thing I've got eyes for this morning is a report just sent in. Frank Potter, prominent banker and philanthropist, was murdered. How about one Joseph Logan? I think he was murdered, too. You think but this I know. Frank Potter was murdered, and he happened to be a close friend of the police commissioner. Ah. Yes, sir, and the commissioner doesn't like his friends being bumped off unless I can produce the miscreant five minutes later. So call me tomorrow.
4: Oh, that's a fine attitude, Lieutenant. The only safe way to get murdered in this town is to be a friend of the
5: commissioner's. Uh, now, look, Miss Brooks, why don't we talk this over on my day off when I can afford to be a gentleman? No. Oh. Huh? Right now, I want... Ah, uh, now. Yes, Riley. Huh? okay, I'm on my way out there now. What's that? What's the name of that place? Go on, go on, I'm listening. And you say this Mrs. Cronin identified the man she saw with Potter? Okay, Sergeant. Okay, I'm as good as there right now.
2: Well, Brooksy, I guess they're too busy for us
5: today. Yeah. Here, we'll
2: uh, be back, Lieutenant, when this storm is over. Uh,
5: no, you don't, Valentine. You're not leaving here. Oh, well, what's the matter with you, anyway? Do you know where Frank Potter was murdered?
2: Look, I'm not my usual psychic self this morning.
5: Where? The Half Moon Motel. George. Go on, Lieutenant. Yes, the Half Moon Motel and a dame out there, a Mrs. Cronin, identified your client Joe Logan as the man who did the killing.
6: I'm surprised, Mr. Valentine. The police didn't get around to me yet.
2: Any time now, Maggie. They know that in a racket like Logan's, the secretary knows more about a boss than anybody else in the world.
6: Maggie, don't you have any idea what Mr. Logan might have been afraid of last night? I just know that Joe's death was no accident. I didn't even know he wrote that
2: note. Not that it matters to Logan now, but that letter to me puts him right there in the Half Moon Motel with Potter.
6: Why does it? Joe had other clients. Whenever he didn't want to meet somebody here at the office, he'd call up the Half Moon Motel. I know the police would love to pin this on Joe, but I'm not going to let them I'll out. I'll
2: cut it, Maggie. Let me have that.
6: Hmm? What?
2: Yeah, that page from the appointment card. You're too nervous for any sleight of hand today. Hmm. Eight o'clock. Frank Potter. Half moon.
4: Oh, so you knew he was going to meet Mr. Potter, didn't you? All right, I did. But
6: Joe didn't kill anybody.
2: All right, maybe I believe it. But that's not good enough, Maggie. you got to make sure. Now, what about the deal your boss had with Potter?
6: I uh, don't know anything about it.
2: Oh, you don't. Okay, come on, Brooksy, we're wasting our time. Wait. You want to play this
6: hand face up with me? It's the truth. I don't know what Potter wanted with Joe. Or perhaps what Joe wanted with Potter. Whichever way it was, but they did have a quarrel right here in the office yesterday morning. That
2: just makes the case stronger against Logan.
6: I couldn't hear what they were fighting about. Finally, Potter slammed out of here in a rage.
2: I see. Just one more point, and let's face it. The medical examiner reported that Joe was a little more than slightly crocked when that car side swiped him.
6: Joe never drank so much, he didn't know what he was doing. Just
2: the same, how about a list of his favorite bars? It might help if I knew where he was before he went to meet Potter.
6: Joe's favorite bars? How do you want them, from A to Z? Oh, George, can't you see she's all upset? Could have been Johnny's Place near City Hall, or Chris's on West Laredo Street, or it could have been... Mort's Paddock Bar in Whitman Highway?
4: What's that, Brooksing? Look at this book of matches in the ashtray. Mort's Paddock Bar, where good sports meet. Yes, that's another place, Joe. Used to like to sit and talk to Mort.
2: Whitman Highway. That's on the way to that motel. And
4: Mr. Logan was run down on Whitman Highway. Yeah.
2: See you later, Maggie.
7: (laughs) Well, Mr. Valentine, should I be forthright? Oh, by all means, Mort. If it was anybody else, Mr. Logan, uh... I uh, would have said he was uh, well under the influence when he left my place last night.
2: But uh, seeing it was, Mr. Logan, uh, what would you say?
7: Well, you see, he's one of those good-looking strapping men who will, you know, just get convivial, so to speak. Well, that's a nice way of putting it, Mort. You know something, miss? Mr. Lowing's going to leave an empty place at my bar. You know, he was a swell talker. I picked up a lot of new words from him. Yes, I guess you'd say Mr. Logan was epigrammatic when it came to uh, uh, repartee, <laughs> the poor fellow.
2: Yeah, I see what you're trying to say. But uh, tell me, more. what time did he leave here last
7: night? Oh, about eight, I'd say.
2: Before or after
7: eight? Well, couldn't be sure, but he did say he was leaving his car in my parking lot till he got back. Well, didn't he say where he was going? No, miss, but it must have been near here because he said he was going to walk it. Ironical, isn't it? Just this time, when he decides not to use his car, he meets up with a pedestrian's face.
2: Not just ironical, Mort, it's more than that.
7: Yeah, now you see right out that window? Down the highway a couple of hundred feet? That's where it all happened, on the right-hand side there. Just by that first telephone pole. Ah, poor fella.
2: Okay, thanks a lot, Mort. You've been a great help.
7: I'm afraid I didn't have very much to say. But you
2: did, believe me.
7: Well, dropping again, always like to talk to people.
4: Well, darling, do I ask questions or are you going to let me in on the brainstorm?
2: Take another look down the highway, Brooksy. What do you see?
4: A pretty highway. Credit to the state. One lane going east, the other going west. An island of trees in the middle.
2: Uh-huh.
4: Uh-huh. Yourself, I see what you mean. Yeah.
2: Joe Logan left the panic bar and started to walk down the highway on the right-hand side, walking toward the Half Moon Motel, not away from it.
4: Well, if you're right, George, Logan never even got there to kill Potter.
2: Which should simplify things for us, but doesn't. I've got a hunch you ever killed Potter ran Logan Town.
4: Yeah. Well, what next?
2: Well, I understand there's a Mrs. Potter. Have a talk with her, Brooksy, huh? See if she knows what business her husband had with Logan.
4: Okay, where'll I meet
2: you? Back at the office. In the meantime, I'm gonna scrape up an acquaintance with this Mrs. Cronin, who swears she saw Logan at the Half Moon
8: Motel. Mm -hmm.
3: Look, Bob, since you ain't a dick, beat it. I got business with Mrs. Cronin. So have I, goon boy. I said beat it. Now, yeah, oh,
4: boys, remember, I do have neighbors. You
3: leave this to me, Sheila. Are you getting out of this doorway, or do I have to step over you? Look, you do as I told you.
2: <laughs> so I step over you.
4: You know how to make an impressive entrance, don't you? I will think I'm forgetting this, mister.
2: If you do, I'll be glad to refresh your memory.
4: Oh, you shouldn't have done that to Charlie. Huh? After all, he's just a bookie trying to squeeze out a living.
2: Well, from all these racing forms around, you seem to be one of his best customers.
4: And I owe him $3,000 just for yesterday. And Charlie's getting a little impatient. You don't have $3,000 on you, have you?
2: Just a few pennies, shy. Uh, now, Mrs. Cronin... If
4: you were to call me Sheila, what would I have to call you?
2: <laughs> well, that depends on your
4: vocabulary.
2: After I called you a liar.
4: I liked you the moment you came in. Can I get you a drink?
2: You didn't see Joe Logan here last night, did you?
4: Strange how it happened. I just looked out the window, and there he was in that cavern across the court. How come
2: you knew Logan at all? What did you ever have to do with him?
4: I needed a private detective once. Someone told me about Joe. What
2: kind of a deal was it?
4: Strictly confidential. Had nothing to do with this. The police let it go at that. Why don't you relax?
2: You're still lying, Sheila.
4: Whatever you say, George.
2: No one who could afford to lose three grand a day would jungle up at a cheap motel like this.
4: Oh, you're so understanding, dear. But why don't you forget it?
2: It'd be easier if I knew how come you were here so conveniently to identify Logan.
4: That was just an accident. I'm supposed to be with a girlfriend in Seattle. That's what my husband thinks. Oh? I gamble too much. Just like other people do other things too much. Once in a while, I take a room like this and splurge. Bet on anything. Bet all the time. The bigger the odds against me, the better. It's in my blood. It's like a disease.
2: Must be an expensive disease.
4: Oh, poor darling. I talk too much, don't I? I want you to make me forget that I never win. I bet you can do that. What odds do you want?
2: Oh, that's, uh, that's very nice, Sheila. But not good enough.
9: What better odds do you want, you?
2: Oh, thanks. Now that you've cleared the air, we can get back to business.
4: Oh, Georgia, I'm so sorry. Did I hurt you? What
2: time did you tell Lieutenant Riley that you saw Logan? Eight
4: o'clock. How come you're so sure? Well, Charlie just phoned to give me the result of the last dog race in Miami. I happen to notice the time. You're not still angry with me? You want to bet? Y- you're not leaving. Sorry,
2: Sheila. I expect to be a very busy boy. Um, George... First a phony accident, then a number. A murder. And now you. Yes? You going all out to make me stop wondering if you frame Logan. And somehow I think it all ties together. Now all i got to do is prove it.
1: We'll return to tonight's adventure of George Valentine in just a moment. Meanwhile, a word about a very important matter of motoring. If your car's battery has been acting like a mule, temperamental and balky, here's an easy way to cure it. Have your battery serviced at a standard station or independent Chevron gas station. They'll inspect the water level, cables, terminal clamps, and test the battery's condition. And they'll be frank. If it just needs a charge, they'll tell you. If your battery's really on its last legs, they'll explain how a new Atlas battery can save you money. Every Atlas battery has its certified power capacity stamped on the case where you can read it. And you'll find these capacities meet or exceed standards set by the Society of Automotive Engineers. The longer-lasting starting power of Atlas batteries, by the way, is backed by a written warranty honored everywhere by 38,000 Atlas dealers. Independent Chevron gas stations and standard stations are glad to service your battery, proud to offer you an Atlas battery when you need one. That's why they say and mean we'll take better care of your car. back to tonight's adventure of George Valentine. A private detective of all people mails you a $100 and tells you to cry murder if he's among the missing tomorrow morning. Sure enough, the gentleman, one Joe Logan, is run down by a car during the night. Then a prominent banker is found dead in a cheap motel. And an incredible blonde who prides herself on betting on anything puts the finger on your dead client as the murderer all of which makes you decide to ask Joe Logan's secretary a few more important questions. Come on, Maggie, think. What truck did Logan have with Sheila
2: Cronin?
6: It was just a routine case, Mr. Valentine. It was more than a year ago.
2: Nothing involving that hot tip addict could be routine. She's too far out of this world. Now let's have the facts. Well?
6: I... Suppose he did go out with her a couple of times. She kept after him. Was it
2: serious enough to make Sheila feel she was the woman scorned? Make her want to frame
6: Logan? Joe could never be serious about any woman. There were too many of them.
2: All right, so he was a Casanova. What about the case?
6: The insurance company hired Joe to investigate Mrs. Cronin when some of her jewels were stolen. Everything proved to be on the up and up. Joe was only on the case a couple of days.
2: That doesn't give me much. That hot-eyed blonde is the key to this fancy frame-up. But why... That's what i got to find out.
6: You uh, wanted to know about Mrs. Potter.
2: Yeah?
6: Uh, Joe never had her for a client. I even looked through all his personal papers.
2: Which also gets us nowhere. Unless Brooksy comes up with something on Mrs. Potter.
9: Miss Brooks. Can't you see I'm dressing to go out? Oh, I just thought, Mrs. Potter, that
4: since your husband had some dealings with Joe Logan, you might know something about him.
9: I told you. I never heard of Joe Logan. Anyway, what right have you to question me like this?
4: I just thought you might be interested, if it might help solve Mr. Potter's murder. I'm sure the police are doing all they can about it. Well, you might make it easier for them if you tell them all you know about Logan. What makes you so sure I know this, Miss Joe Logan? He was killed, you know. Well, that's just too bad. But he's not the first man to be knocked down by a hit-and-run driver. Now, get out. Oh, then you did know Joe Logan. What? Well, that's pretty obvious. There were only a few lines in the paper about his hit-and-run accident. Not the sort of thing you'd remember about a stranger. You know, Miss Brooks, I should have obeyed my first impulse and had the butler throw you out. (laughs) All right. I hired Joe Logan once. Why didn't you tell that to the police when they questioned? It has no bearing on this case. Does that satisfy you, Miss Brooks? Oh, not quite, but it's a good beginning. Well, I won't keep you any longer. I know you're anxious to get out and celebrate. What did you say?
9: Get out of here. Go on, get out.
2: Good work, Angel. I don't know what it means, but Mrs. Potter must have a good reason for denying that she knew Logan.
4: Well, it's hard to know what she's thinking. Vivian's a cold dish with a memorized smile.
2: Our friend Logan seems to have gone in for females who insist on being characters. Mm. Anyway, why can't we find any record of this deal with Mrs. Potter?
4: Maybe it's uh, something you just don't put down on paper, huh? Could be, Brooksie.
2: Well, all we know up till now is that Potter and Logan had a quarrel. Yeah,
4: and that's Both right.
2: Sheila and Vivian were Logan's clients at one time or another. I'll make something out of that if you can.
3: Okay, Valentine. You said you want to see me. Well, Charlie, you're a good sport. I didn't think you'd show. Uh, the information you asked for over the phone, Valentine, I got it. Well. But how does it get me the three grand Sheila Cronin owes me? Look, Charlie, I'm not guaranteeing
2: anything, but you'll stand a better chance of collecting if you play along with me.
4: Well, I don't business know. is business, Charlie.
3: Okay. I don't know why it's so important, but it was 9 o'clock when I called Sheila about the last dog race in Miami. Sure it wasn't 8? Couldn't be. Races ain't over till almost 9.
4: Now we know Sheila was lying. Yeah, but
3: why? And what answers have we got if she just says I made a mistake? Now, now look, chum, about the three grand... Talk to you
2: later, Charlie. Right now I gotta get over to that paddock bar and see what use I can make of Mort Fisher's garrulity.
3: His what?
4: Don't look shocked, Charlie. That just means love of conversation. (laughs)
7: Well, it's sure good to see you, Mr. Valentine. You know, I was hoping you'd drop in. How are you, miss? Hi, Mort. Say, look, you like to talk,
2: Mort. I thought if we sort of sat around a while, you might remember something Logan said last night that could help us.
7: Why didn't you tell me this morning that the police think Mr. Logan bumped off this potter guy? Then, ironically-like, mean up with an accident. Oh, you found out, huh? Oh, sure, why it's in the evening papers, miss. And piling irony on irony. Yeah? Look what happens to here right here in my own bar tonight. Did you ever see anything so, well, uh, fortu, uh, fortuitous, you know? Uh, you know, uh, you, Well, look, you know who's sitting down there in the number one booth all by herself?
8: No, who, more?
7: Why, it's Porter's young wife. She's grinding her sorrows with champagne cocktails. Except she doesn't look too unhappy, if you ask me. Then you know Mrs. Potter. Well, ah, that's more of the irony, miss. She used to come in here with uh, Mr. Logan. Oh,
2: hey, now we're getting
7: somewhere. But that's not all. Two minutes after she comes in, that good-looking blonde from the half-moon shows up. You know, the one who identified Mr. Logan recognized her from the pictures in the paper. You
2: run a popular bar here, Mort.
7: Oh, ho, ho, just thanks. But it's uh, mostly a court the location. Last bar on the highway for the next five miles.
2: Don't be so modest, Mort. Say, would you mind keeping Miss Brooks entertained?
7: Hey, but wait, I have got something else to tell you. I'll be
2: right back, Mort.
4: Hello, Sheila. Well, oh, look at you. Now, George, I was just getting lonely. No, thanks.
2: What I've got to say won't take that long. Besides, i got to make another stop.
4: Do you want to bet I can make it more interesting?
2: Why did you lie about Logan? You never saw him at the Half Moon Motel. He never reached there.
4: I like my story better.
2: The dog races aren't over in Florida till nine.
4: So I made a mistake.
2: Why did you lie? Did somebody make you do it?
4: I'm getting fed up with this place. Let's go somewhere else, George. Or
2: did you frame Logan because he had something on you? Was that jewelry hold up a fake with Logan playing both ends against the middle?
4: What are you talking about?
2: I mean, get the insurance money and sell your jewels. So you could pay off characters like Charlie
4: the Bookie. <laughs> you know something? I'm betting you could never prove that. <laughs>
8: yeah. Hey, where are you going? <laughs>
9: Oh, Miss
2: Valentine. Tell me, Mrs. Potter, what kind of a job did you hire Logan to do for you?
9: I made one slip today with your secretary. That's par for the course.
2: Your husband was some 30 years older than you. You stood a lot to gain by his death.
10: Go on, you're doing the talking. If Logan had
2: anything to do with it, you'd want him out of the way, too, wouldn't you?
10: Sorry, Mr. Valentine, but you bore me. Good night. (laughs) Good night.
7: Well, what'd you find out, George? Tell you later, Booksy. Hey, uh, you didn't let me finish before, Mr. Valentine. What's that, Morton? You know, talking about quirks of fate, last night, about a half hour before he left, I was right here at the bar, you know, with Mr. Logan. So you said. And who should come in from, for the short, quick, we you know, but Mr. Potter. Now, I know it was him from his pictures.
2: Did you hear what they talked about?
7: Oh, they didn't so much as converse. I don't think Mr. Logan even knew the guy. Oh, you must be wrong, Mort.
2: Oh, you could be very right, which is something I want to talk to Riley about. Now, let's see if we can nail him before he leaves the Half Moon Motel.
4: Why didn't we take the car, George?
2: Well, it's just a short walk, Angel.
8: Yeah.
2: Anyway, I have to have time to think. Try and make some sense out of this thing. So it doesn't sound too fantastic to Lieutenant Riley.
4: Mm. Better keep to the side of the road, darling. Yeah.
2: Brooksy, when we get to the motel, call Maggie at home. Yes, George? Tell her to meet us at Logan's office. There's just one thing I want to clear up. Then I think we'll have this thing late.
6: George, look out that car! Get out of the
8: target.
4: Hey, you all right, Angel? This is what gravel tastes like.
2: And that car was trying to run (laughs) us down. The same thing that happened to Logan.
4: Yeah, and almost in the same place. A
2: baby blue convertible, a big one.
4: Say, I noticed that before. Parked on the lot next to the paddock bar.
2: And that's where we're going right now. Tell me something, Mort.
7: Hey, yeah, Mr. Valentine.
2: In the short time I was away, did you notice whether Mrs. Potter or Mrs. Cronin left your place?
7: I can't say with any exactitude, Mr. Valentine. Oh. But it seems I do remember both ladies being up and moving around. Of course we're crowding up now, Good and... Consent, George? Lieutenant Riley's going to stop by here and pick up the two, uh,
4: ladies... And I left that message for Maggie to be over at Logan's office. And that baby blue convertible of Mrs. Potter's is still in the parking lot. Good, good.
2: Now, if we don't find out what really happened, we never will.
5: Okay, Valentine, what's your story? The one we got says uh, Logan killed Potter, and the commissioner likes that version, too. Just a minute, Lieutenant. Oh, Brooksy, Hmm? call into the outer office and see if Maggie's ready to take
2: all this down.
4: Okay, George. So you think this is the photo finish between me and Mrs. Potter? Is that
9: it, George, dear? Lieutenant Riley, I've answered this man's questions all day. Do I have to go through this now?
5: If you don't mind, Mrs. Potter, yes.
4: You ready, Maggie? Yes, Miss Brooks.
5: Okay, go ahead, George. Okay. Okay, Riley, here's the way I see it.
2: Joe Logan makes a deal with a woman who always needs money because she bets too much. Cooks up a deal with her to cheat the insurance company, then blackmails her.
9: But I didn't kill him.
2: Logan also talks to a pretty young matron, much younger than her husband.
9: So you think I'm pretty? Thank you, Mr. Valentine. She
2: wants Logan to help her get rid of her husband, without involving her, and so she can still get a big chunk of his
9: money. I discussed that with Logan. That's as far as it went.
2: Uh, Keep going, Valentine. Well, a wonderful plan is born, Lieutenant. Somebody makes an appointment for Logan to meet Potter at the Half Moon Motel. When Potter arrives, he's murdered. Then Logan is deliberately run down on the road. And you know, Lieutenant, dead men tell no tale. Yes, that much we know.
4: Yes, do get to the point, George. Then
2: enters what Mort would call the ironical touch. We're told that Logan and Potter had a violent quarrel the very day of the murder. Who should know better than the secretary who overheard it? Is that right, Maggie?
6: That's right, Mr. Valentine.
2: And Mr. Potter does a very human thing. On the way to his appointment, which he knows he has to do with his wife, he stops in for a quick drink at
5: Mort's bar.
4: He stands almost next to Logan, but they don't say a word to each other because they've never met before.
5: Ah, uh, look, look, you've got to make more sense than this, Valentine, because uh, I don't get it. Oh, you'll get this, Lieutenant. Why were we told there was
2: a quarrel? Because that would supply the motive for Logan to kill Potter. And who'd know enough about Sheila to force her to place Logan at the motel when he wasn't there at all?
9: A lot of questions, Mr. Valentine. How about some answers? Coming
2: to that, Mrs. Potter, coming to that. But just one final question. If Logan were proved as your husband's murderer, who would be in the position to hold you up for the rest of your life? What? Someone who had the proof that you were dickering with Logan. Maybe you weren't talking murder, but it might sound like it. Getting all this down, Maggie? You got that proof, haven't you? That's why you committed two murders. Maggie! Didn't you, Maggie?
6: Yes, Got your facts all straight, Mr. Valentine. They make a wonderful confession. I may as well sign it now. <laughs>
7: One more proof, Mr. Valentine, about life being ironical. What's that, Mort? Oh, George, I don't know if I can stand much more irony in one case. Well, just after you left, I mean after you asked me about Mrs. Potter and Mrs. Cronin, I checked with the waiters. And? They said neither one of the ladies left the place at all. And there you were, suspecting the both of them. Well, that's all cleared up now.
2: Yeah, there was another lady who borrowed Mrs. Potter's car, Mort. She tried to run us down. We were getting a little too close to the truth for her comfort.
7: Hey, you know, folks, we've been through a whole lot together. Say, uh, how about dinner tonight with me? You know, on the house.
2: Hey, how about that,
11: Brooksy?
7: Oh, I think that would be perfectly ironic. Good, good. Maybe we can stir up some exciting conversation. Uh, it gets uh, awfully dull around this place sometimes. Dull. No. Oh, Mort, you can't mean that. So help me, Miss Brooks. I don't know why you're giving me that look of quizzicality. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'd be willing to bet there's not one car owner in a thousand who could lubricate his car thoroughly. For there are more than 20 vital wear points on the average car, and if most of us tried to find them, it would be pure guesswork. Even the expert lube men at the independent Chevron gas stations and standard stations don't rely on experience alone when they grease your car. Instead, they follow a precise lubrication chart recommended by the manufacturer of your car. And they use RPM greases and oils, each one tailor-made to protect those key wear points. Tailor-made, too, to smooth out road shocks and give you easier riding. So for low-cost maintenance and better riding, get a lube job with RPM greases every 1,000 miles. Get it at a standard station or independent Chevron gas station where they say and mean we'll take better care of your car. (laughs) Next week, when you tune our way for another adventure of George Valentine, you'll hear Lieutenant Riley saying... Now,
5: Valentine, uh, you say your client was held up Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. Uh-huh. Well, uh, according to this report, the only crimes that took place in our fair city on Tuesday night were uh, a pickpocket apprehended at 7th and Duncan, and... What's the matter, Lieutenant? Uh, I should have remembered myself. The Hafei murder... Killer still at large. Victim previously married to... Here. Here, Valentine. You can have the honor. You've
12: earned it.
1: next adventure of George Valentine has been brought to you by Standard of California on behalf of independent Chevron gas stations and Standard stations throughout the West. Let George Do It stars Robert Bailey as George with Francis Robinson as Claire. Wally Mayer appears as Lieutenant Riley. Tonight's story was written by David Victor and Herbert Little Jr. and directed by Don Clark. Also heard in the cast were Gloria Blondell as Sheila Cronin, Virginia Gregg as Vivian Potter, Betty Lou Gerson as Maggie. Dick Ryan is Mort, and Tony Barrett as Charlie. The music is composed and conducted by Eddie Dunstetter. Your announcer, John Heaston. Listen again next week, same time, same station, to Let George Do It. This is the Mutual Don Lee Broadcasting System.
11: Deep Cleaning. Oxidol's own Ma Perkins. All over America, the news is out, and everywhere there's a tremendous amount of talk and excitement about Deep Cleaning Oxidol. Women are getting washes so wonderfully clean and white they can hardly believe it. They're discovering that deep cleaning oxidol reaches deep down into fabrics and gets out the gray dirt left in clothes by the leading wash day suds, the leading shortcut suds. Now this fact was demonstrated to women recently, and I'd like you to hear from Mrs. John Rising of St. Bernard, Ohio, who attended the demonstration. Here's what she saw.
0: In this washing demonstration, they used my clean clothes. At least I thought they were clean because I had just washed them with the leading suds, the way you're
9: told to. Then they washed those clothes over again, this time with deep-cleaning Oxidol. You should have seen the dirty wash water come out of those clothes I thought were clean. That dirty wash water showed me Oxidol really can get out the gray dirt left in clothes by those leading shortcut suds.
11: Thanks, Mrs. Rising. And ladies, here's something we'd like you to try. Next wash day, use deep-cleaning Oxidol and see for yourself how much dirt Oxidol can get out of your clothes. And even more surprising, look at the clothes themselves. When you use deep-cleaning Oxidol, your clothes look sparkling white and bright. Your clothes feel soft and fluffy. Your clothes smell sweet, too. Yes, your clothes look clean, feel clean, smell clean, because they are clean with deep-cleaning Oxidol. Yet Oxidol is really safe. Deep clean clothes stay brighter, new looking longer. So don't wash clothes with suds that leave dirt in. Get clothes deep clean. Sparkling clean with deep cleaning Oxidol. Oxidol is deep cleaning. Deep cleaning. Deep cleaning. Ask your dealer for Oxidol today. Now, for Ma Perkins. Well, with every day, Ma finds that she must turn to the cousins. Practically everyone else has left her. Juffle, Willie, Heavy. And no one suspects that all of Ma's heartache has been caused by the cousins. The cousins who eventually plan to take over the Perkins lumberyard from Ma herself. The latest development is Sylvester's successful swindle of Willie and Evie through some mining stock, which... But let's hear it for ourselves. It's about 10.15 in the morning now, and Willie is just getting home. Listen. That you, Junior? You want me to
13: eat, you got to wait for
9: lunchtime. If you want a nickel, I gave you a nickel
14: yesterday. It's me, Evie.
9: Did you see, Sylvester? Did you close the
14: deal? Yeah, I closed the deal, and here, you can put this among our souvenirs. Thank you. The account is now closed. What we got in our bank account is now precisely zero.
9: Oh, We got the stock, Willie. Didn't you say you put over the deal? We give Sylvester the money, he sends it to his friend, the friend sends us the stock. We pay $2,000 for it, we sell it for $5,000
14: profits. Yeah, until we get the profits, our bank account is precisely zero. You know, I feel kind of funny, Evie, taking practically every nickel we got in the world and buying stock with it right at the very minute that I'm out of a job.
9: Yeah, but that's when we need the profits, Willie, when you're out of a job.
14: Listen, Evie, it's been three weeks now since I quit at Mars, and not only don't I have a job, I don't even have a nibble. Don't you think it might...
9: Willie if you're suggesting that you should go crawling back to Mars Perkins like a little baby, I absolutely forbid it. Choose, Willie?
14: That ain't what I was about to suggest in the least. I was about to suggest something entirely different. Uh, anyway, what do you mean, choose?
9: you got to choose between going back to Mars and your own right feelings on the subject.
14: I said I wasn't talking about going back to Mars. Well, it might not be a bad idea. No, I wanted to ask you something else. Maybe, what? Well, maybe it might be better. Well, you've been wanting me to get a job for $55 a week. I, I don't seem to be able to find such a job. So maybe I ought to start something smaller, Evie, and build myself up to 55 a week.
9: But need a boy fresh out of school with no experience, we've got to start at the bottom. You've got experience, Willie. Cousin Ed was telling me there's no substitute for experience.
14: But if nobody's willing to pay for it, what good is it? See, I don't know, Evie. I- I'm not used to worrying about money. I mean, ever since we got married, at least I've always had a job. I, I-, I feel nervous. Oh, you just wait till the profits start rolling
9: in. Buy it for $2,000, sell it for $5,000. <laughs> profit. Yeah,
14: but what'll we do until the profits start coming in? I can't just lay around the house with my shoes off.
9: You plan to lay around the sofa. you got to take the shoes off. I'm not
14: talking about laying down on the sofa. I'm talking about getting a job. Oh, what's the use? Listen, I- I'm going to give myself until the end of this week, trying to find a job for 55 and if nothing happens... I'll answer one of them ads in the Fort William paper where they pay 150 a month. I'll take anything. Now, uh, that, 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 that's only sensible, Eddie.
9: Well, i like Cousin Ed always
8: says.
14: Think big, be big. Okay, tell Cousin Ed I'm thinking very big. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking millions. And then kindly ask him when and how the millions start rolling in. Think big, be big. That, that, that's a lot of... That's silly. Oh, you're
9: probably nervous, Ellie, because you ain't found a job yet. Mm-hmm. Look, honey, we got weenies for lunch. Now, you love weenies. Would you like me to cook you a weenie right now to make you feel better?
14: I ain't hungry. Well, maybe I will feel better. What time is it? 10.30. Oh, okay, make me a little lunch, Evie. Then I'll go over to Fort William and start looking around again. Maybe that's been my trouble. Maybe I've been too nervous. Weenies. (laughs) Don't forget the mustard. And the lily too.
11: changes. Willie's nervousness would be increased a hundredfold, or should I say two thousandfold, if he knew the truth, that the stock he's just bought is in a perfectly worthless company, that it's all a swindle on the part of Cousin Sylvester and Cousin Ed. Well, the two schemers have ducked out behind the lumberyard office, and Sylvester is triumphantly showing his father what he well,
15: listen. There, Popsy. Freedom and week The first time in my life I ever saw so many greenbacks in one bundle. Hey, sovereign catfish. The
13: them tens and twenties. They like to choke a horse. Hey, the twenties to choke a horse. The tens to choke a pony. <laughs> 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 okay, I'll take charge of that there money, Senator What's that? You'll take charge of what, old boy? Yeah, uh, keep their voice down, sure. Cousin Ma, just on the other side of that there wall. You want
15: Cousin Ma to hear what you're saying? Never mind about Cousin Ma. Anyhow, Cousin Ma's talking in the telephone. Still phoning all around the county to get a job for that poor sap Willie. <laughs> Knowing what a real sap he is, I wouldn't hire him for a dog catcher. But about this money, um, were you planning some nice, special little use for it? By any chance, Popsy? we got to put it in the bank, son Sylvester. This here's our nest egg against the rainy day. I happen to have other uses for this money, or at any rate, for part of it. Now I got me a bankroll, Popsy. Oh, now I can really romance little Miss Cousin Fay. <laughs> I'm going to get me a white suit. You know, white linen. In fact, maybe I'll get me two white suits for when one's in the wash. You can get yourself five white suits. I want my
13: share of the money. So hand it over right
15: now. Please, kindly, if you don't
13: mind some silver. So that...
15: Oh, wait, 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 wait. And how about your splitting part of the cost of romancing fame? I'm doing it as much for you, Popsy, as for any. What's that? Why, you ungrateful, ignorant nincompoop. It ain't
13: me who gets to go dancing all night and having fun and riding around automobiles. Anyhow, I'm the one who steered you on to Cousin Faye and her $50,000. Well,
15: you're paying half of our operating expenses or no dice.
13: I should pay for you to stay out all night having fun? You call that operating expenses?
16: Cousin Sylvester, you
13: out there someplace, Cousin Sylvester? There's more. She wants you. We'll discuss this on our way home to lunch, son
15: Sylvester. And in the meantime, this cash stays right here in my pocket. Excuse me, Popsy. Come in, cousin Ma. And uh, that's another reason
13: we ought to stick the money in the bank. Because by tomorrow, you won't have a pocket. That there money's going to burn a hole straight through it.
15: Finders, keepers, Popsy. Everything you pick up off the floor, you can keep. <laughs> Here I am, Cousin Ma, at your service.
0: Oh, I didn't mean you to come in if you was busy, Cousin Sylvester. Say nothing that important.
15: As Popsy says in his quaint way, Cousin Ma, I'm at your service to command.
0: (laughs) I I just uh, happened to be talking to Augustus Pendleton. I was calling him about something else. Uh, That's Banker Pendleton, you know. Uh Uh-huh. And he asked me a question which, well, I ain't sure I understand it. Now, I, I'm not asking anything that ain't my business, Cousin Sylvester. but Banker Pendleton asked me, and... Well, to make a long story short, you were a good friend of my Evie, and, and a friend of Willie, and... There was that business of mining stock, and, and uh, Like, you know, they... Well, I ain't seen Willie and Evie much lately... Anyhow, has either Willie or Evie said something to you about going into a new business?
15: New business, Ma? No, I've I've heard nothing about a new business.
0: Well, you see, Banker Pendleton said something about Willie investing his savings. And that's what Banker Pendleton just asked me. Is Willie going into a new business? They... they... They, they've said nothing to you about it. That's right, Ma.
15: I've heard nothing about a new business.
0: Oh, I do hope that Willie and really don't do nothing foolish with the money that they've saved. Nobody seems to be able to find a job for Willie. And that money is all the cash they got in the world, and... Well, oh, really? There's no reason for me to bother you with such things, Cousin Sylvester. If you say you know nothing about it, then you know nothing about it.
15: Why, that's all right, Ma. I want you to come to me about the family problems. Consult me, because after all, it's the same family, Cousin Ma. After all, we're cousins, aren't we? Look around, Ma. The only ones you've got are us cousins.
11: Ladies, if you have a really big wash to do each wash day, you'll especially welcome deep-cleaning Oxidol in a giant economy size package. For you'll find that this giant economy-sized Oxidol will do almost any family's wash for a whole month. Yes, just one giant economy-sized package of Oxidol can do a family's wash for a whole month. And what a wash you'll get with this deep-cleaning Oxidol. A wash so sparkling clean you can see it's clean, feel it's clean, even smell it's clean. So for a wash that's deep clean, sparkling clean, ask your dealer for deep cleaning Oxidol today in the giant economy-sized package that does most any family's wash for a whole month. And so Ma has to turn to Cousin Sylvester for information about her own beloved Willie and Effie which, of course, is just what Sylvester wants. What's going to happen? Well, it's Sylvester and Faye and the birth of another romance tomorrow. But now this is Charlie Warren inviting you to listen again tomorrow to Oxidol's own Ma Perkins. Same time, same station. For a wash that's deep clean, sparkling clean, use deep cleaning Oxidol.
14: Oxidol is deep
11: cleaning Deep cleaning, deep cleaning.
17: And Company brings you transcribed the Martin and Lewis show featuring Flo McMichael, Sheldon Leonard, Gloria Blondell, Ben Alexander, Dick Stabile and his orchestra, and starring Dean Martin.
18: I love you for sentimental reasons.
19: For sentimental reason I'll never forget The night we met I didn't know If I should kiss you or not So I looked into your eyes And one eye said go <laughs> And your other eye said stop And your other eye Just kept flashing yellow
8: <laughs>
19: Jerry you're in love With a girl Who has three eyes? So shoot me I made a boo boo <laughs>
17: As many of you know, Jerry Lewis and Dean Martin are planning to open their own nightclub. There have been delays, but Dean and Jerry believe their trials are almost over. Their club is about ready to open soon.
20: Well, Jerry, we're almost ready for the grand opening. And just look at this place. Isn't this the most gorgeous nightclub you've ever seen?
19: I don't think we have anything to worry about, Dean. Our nightclub will be a smash. And before I forget it, we better get a big neon sign outside. We want the folks to be able to find us, you know.
20: You mean our name up in lights?
19: Sure. I got the whole thing all set. As you drive up to the club at night, the first thing you see is his big neon sign. Now appearing, Jerry Lewis, the world's youngest comedian.
20: That's all the sign said.
19: Dean, neon costs money. <laughs>
20: well, Jerry,
19: my name is supposed to be up there, too. Oh, it is, Dean, it is. Right next to mine.
20: Well, it's more like it. In candles. <laughs>
19: Just kidding, Dean. We've always shared everything, and we're not going to stop now. Your neon sign will be just as big as mine. Now, settle down and see how things are coming.
20: Yeah, I'd hate to see this nightclub become a flop.
19: Dean, how can you say that? This place can flop. We have all the ingredients that make a nightclub successful. We have good food and drinks, and, and, and we have a line of beautiful girls. We have an excellent floor show, and our orchestra leader, Dick de can play the highest note ever heard on a saxophone. He can play the highest note in the whole world. <laughs> You ditched the bill. Sounds
20: like a mouse backing into a cold trap. <laughs> I beg your pardon. Gee, a girl character.
21: I beg your pardon, but I'm looking for a charm. Well, mm. miss,
20: would certainly like to help you out. Uh, have you ever had any experience in nightclubs?
21: Oh, yes. And I've worked in some, too.
20: <laughs> Well, uh, what
22: do
21: you do in nightclubs? Well, I can answer that better by just
19: showing you my legs. There. Oh. Gee, a cigarette girl. <laughs> Cigars, cigarettes, deep freezers.
8: <laughs> no,
19: gentlemen, I'm not a cigarette
10: girl. Well,
20: look, if you're not a cigarette girl, then uh, what do you do in nightclubs?
4: Well,
21: it's like this. <laughs> I
19: (laughs) (laughs) You're, you're, you're not Jack Smith. (laughs) Now, look, miss, I'm very sorry, but this is a very high-class nightclub, and we just can't use you in our floor show. I'm sorry. Oh, that's all right. Maybe you can use me out in the kitchen. I can cook.
20: You can? What do you cook?
19: Well... Uh, does that come with a boiled potato? I'm very sorry, Miss, but we just can't use you. Oh, you can't, eh? Well, if that's the way you feel about it, I hope your nightclub's a flop. Bye. Oh, she's crazy. How can this nightclub flop? It's impossible. We've got everything. Good food And we have an excellent floor show And our orchestra leader, Dick Stabile Can play the highest note in the whole world Maybe you're right, Dean We could flop (laughs) Dean, maybe we shouldn't have gone into show business at all
20: Oh, I wouldn't say that, Jerry I think show business is wonderful you just got to have an angle You know, you got to be interesting Look at Al Jolson. Look at his career. They make movies out of it. You know, the Jolson story and Jolson things again. He's the biggest man in show business
19: today. I know. I saw him in Mighty Joe Young.
18: <laughs> no,
19: Jerry, that was Mel Torme. Uh,
8: look...
20: Stay in show business and become a great success, we gotta have a story to sort You mean of tell
19: it me. isn't enough to have good food and drinks. It's your line, Dean.
8: <laughs>
19: no. Uh what about a line of beautiful girls? No. An excellent floor show? No. An orchestra leader that can play the highest note in the whole world? Uh.
8: <laughs>
19: Fine time to get a cold. You better sing, Dean.
8: I know
18: that someday... Want me to want you When I'm in love With somebody new You expect me to be true And to keep on loving you Well, even though I'm blue You know that I can't forget you Well, until someday You'll want me to want you When I'm strong for somebody
8: else
18: Although you don't want me now, baby I'll get along somehow And then I won't
19: It, huh? Well, to tell the truth, it sounded like you had a frog in your throat and he was doing the singing.
20: Jerry, our bosom friendship has just become flat-chested.
19: Ah, <laughs> now, no, don't say that, Dean. Come on, after 18 weeks, I get a laugh. Let me have it. Don't say that, Dean, because we got to stick together. Maybe we'll be as important as Jolson, and they'll make a picture about our lives. We might have lived. <laughs>
20: They already made a picture about our lives My friend Irma
19: Oh, you mean our picture playing right now at the Paramount Theater on Broadway Where we do five shows a day and the people are coming from miles around just to see us And we have to fight our way through the mobs with everyone trying to get our autographs And tearing our clothes off as of souvenirs and dean. Why? Why do we have to pay to get in? <laughs>
20: Jerry, do you really think they would make a picture about us?
19: Why, sure We don't have to wait till we're as old as Jolson We'll just add our ages together, throw in Victor Moore, and we're all set. <laughs> but do
20: you think there are any interesting things in our lives?
19: Oh, sure. Take me. When I was a little boy, I thought everything with stripes was peppermint candy. It wasn't until I was 19 years old that I stopped licking barber poles. <laughs> oh, that's
20: great for a life story.
19: But there's lots of other things about me. And you too, Dean. Let's see what a story about us would really be like. <laughs>
17: We bring you now the life story of Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. If there's any similarity to the Jolson story, then your radio must be wrinkled. (laughs) What makes men like Martin and Lewis? Who are they? Where do they come from? How can we get them to go back? <laughs> First, let's look in on a little suburb in New Jersey. It's a very small suburb. On the map, it's just a pinpoint. Ouch! Ouch! Jerry lives in the center of town. <laughs> but let's go back to a wintry night many years ago. The Lewis family is expecting an addition. This time, they hope it's a boy or a girl. <laughs> faces up and down in the hospital waiting room.
23: Oh,
17: oh doctor, what's the news? Oh. See for yourself, Mr. Lewis, here he is, your brand new baby son. Look at him. Well, what do you think? I think I made a bow bow.
8: <laughs>
19: <laughs>
17: a few weeks later, little Jerry is lying in his crib and his fond parents look down at him. Isn't he cute, Mama?
19: Yes, but I wish he had a tail. <laughs> You wish he
20: had a tail.
19: Yes. He keeps getting hurt trying to hang by where it isn't. <laughs> well,
22: don't give up hope, Mama. With that face, the tail couldn't be far behind. Oh,
24: so Pa, look at little Jerry's smile.
22: Goo glob, glump gloop. Oh, isn't that cute? He's trying to talk.
19: Goo glub glump. They don't know it, but I'm saying naughty boys. <laughs>
17: Five years later, Jerry Lewis is six years old. (laughs) He lied about his age. He begins his first semester at P.S.
23: 95.
17: All right,
25: right,
19: class, attention. Now we'll start with arithmetic. Dean Martin, what is one and one?
18: Two, teacher?
19: Sophie Leonard, what is two and one?
18: Very lousy (laughs) odds.
19: Three and one. Machine oil. <laughs> I'll give you another chance, Soapy. Now, if you had three dollars and gave me two, what would you have?
14: I'd have a much better report card.
19: <laughs> pulls out!
14: Pulls out! Hey, kid! Hey, kid! Hey, hey, come here. Come here.
19: What do you want?
14: Did you ever get in with bad company? How'd you like to start?
19: Oh, no. My parents warned me to be good and kind and gentle and to never use ungentlemanly language or indulge in any undignified horseplay. This is a prepared statement and not necessarily the opinion of Jerry Lewis. (laughs) Hey,
20: boy, this is your first day at P.S. 95?
19: Yeah. How come you still go to first grade? You must be
20: 12 years old I'm going to study with the teacher <laughs> Well,
19: I gotta
20: go Why, what time you gotta be home? Three o'clock Mom's taking me to a psychiatrist <laughs> Hey, there's that other new kid, Dexter Bill
22: You know, he blows the world's highest note on a saxophone Yeah? Yeah, he blows a note so high only a dog can hear it He's blowing it now
23: Ow! Tell him to stop it,
8: killing me! -hmm.
13: your name? My
19: name? Yeah. Jerome Levitt. What's yours? Paul City Gee, I can just see our names up in light someday. Martin and Lewis. <laughs>
8: hey,
20: you got any friends in the neighborhood?
19: No, but when I get lonesome sometimes, I play with my little imaginary playmate, Last
20: Fogle.
22: <laughs> Last Fogle?
19: Yeah a little teeny fellow who lives in our clothes closet and eats holes in the morgue.
8: <laughs> time
17: passes. At the age of 13, Dean Martin's mental development and his Uncle Louie were arrested.
8: <laughs> Dean was
17: growing fast and his father thought it was time to have a talk with him.
22: Dean, my son, you are 13 years old now. You sing all the morning, you sing all the night. The Dean, now why don't you run away from the home? <laughs> Now, Papa, I don't want to run away from home. I want to stay here to make you happy. No, Dean, no run away and I make me
8: happy.
22: All I want, of Dean, is that you go away and become a famous. And if you don't become a famous, I don't care go away and how.
17: And so Dean tells little Jerry that he's going to run away.
19: You can't go away like this, Dean. It ain't fair. Well, you and I are like brothers. When your money gets too small for you, you give it to me.
20: Well, a man grows up, Jerry. I want to see far off places and sights. Paris, Monte Carlo, and the Leaning Tower of Pizza. <laughs>
19: to be in England now that all our money's there. (laughs) I have to do it, Jerry. I want to sing. I want to be rich someday.
17: And so Dean Martin left Jerry Lewis and Jerry at first was very lonesome. Then one day he grew up. He met a girl.
19: Milo. (laughs) Yeah, Jerry? Would you step out of the room a minute? My voice is going to (laughs) change. Jerry. Say what's that on your shoes? Oh those are padlocks My folks lock my shoes on my feet Why? I bite my nails Jerry you're not a bit romantic I can't help it Michael. I've got to confess something I'm in love with Ethel Hockenhaven But Jerry why do you love her? Because her father is a plumber So if I marry her I'll not only have a pretty wife But good drainage.
17: (laughs) (laughs) Then one day an older and wiser Dee Martin returns. He's seen the romantic old world, and an Italian love song is on
11: his lips.
18: soon come along through the years with me. Can't you see how I adore you and how long I've waited for you? Venice, soon Jenny Sue Won't you say You love me too Anche tu, anche tu come ti farò vedere le stelle da vigine.
17: Sue. And now back to the life story of Dean and Jerry. Childhood and school days are behind them. They're grown up now. The boys realize they've got to prove whether they're mice or men. So, nibbling a piece of cheese, they stride out into the world. Side by side, marching with their heads up, their shoulders back, their chests out, their shoestrings tied together.
20: got to find work. We've got to do something. How much money have you got?
19: Nothing. How much have you got? Nothing. Let's face it, Dean. We're almost broke. Ah, there must be
20: some job that we're fitted for. Say, I wonder if my voice is ready for a singing career.
19: Oh, I should say it is ready, Dean. Why, every day Bing Crosby is starting to sound more and more like you.
17: Yeah, I set the pattern. (laughs) Of work, but still hopeful. Dean and Jerry go to see a friend of Dean's, and a miracle happens. He gives them a job. Oh, so me.
22: I don't mind putting a quarter in your tin cup because you've got the biggest
19: monkey on a leash I ever saw. (laughs) (laughs) Lift
17: your hat, Jerry. Had to give up this job, however, the other monkeys started to pick at him. <laughs> but at last, Dean and Jerry get a break. We find them eager and willing workers strolling up and down in front of an apartment house.
18: I love you, I love you, I love you, sweetheart of all my
23: dreams. Fish! <laughs> <laughs> I love you,
18: I love you, I love you. Can live with you the same. Yo, Mrs. Resnick, I got a flounder.
19: <laughs> Two
17: weeks and sixteen flounders later, <laughs> Dean and Jerry are again out of a job, but only for one unemployment check. Now they're working on another job. Fixing watches. <laughs> soon tire of this job. For a while, they worked for Dr. Christian, folding bandages, writing stories. (laughs) Then one day, they got a job on a rabbit farm, separating the Easter bunnies from the
8: females. (laughs) Then
17: came another job, working in an owl Drug Store. I'm the collector for the owl
22: drug company. I've come to check your cash register, Lewis. Well, what's the meaning of this? No money in it.
19: I haven't sold anything.
22: But the store's been full of customers, and all day your counter's been surrounded by people. People, sure, but no owls.
8: <laughs>
17: Young men were building airplanes. Young men were building bridges and roads. Young men were trying their wings. Dean and Jerry just sat around molding.
15: <laughs> well, when things look this
26: black this, always one way out of and... I'm going to take it. Jerry, you mean... Yes, the river. (laughs) You've been a swell pal, Dean, but this... This is the end.
14: There's only
26: one thing left to say, old pal.
20: Yeah, what's that?
18: Bye. Bye.
8: Dean, did you hear that?
19: It sticks the bill. The world's greatest saxophone player. Playing the world's highest note. That gives me an idea. We'll get Dick to come with us and we'll go into show business. Show business? Oh, boy. The stage, the movies. I can already feel the cemented at Groundman's Theater oozing up between my toes. <laughs> well, come on, Jerry. Let's go talk to an agent. I got the address of a fellow who might help us.
17: Yeah, I'm a theatrical agent. Soapy Leonard and Company. I handle all kind of acts. What do you boys do?
19: Please give us a chance, mister. Dean can sing a wonderful song. He sings on radio. Yeah? Never heard him. Well, this was in England. <laughs> England? I say, you must remember old chap, old bean, old rock. You were on BBC every morning, you sang. Simpsons tea leaves at the spot. Five full tea bags, that's a lot. <laughs> uh, They've been told to it hot, But don't get caught without a pot. <laughs>
20: Yeah, I'll bet I sold uh, a lot of coffee,
17: huh?
8: <laughs>
17: that is nothing. But uh, what about that other guy there? What does he do?
19: Dick, uh-huh. <laughs> you're squeezing.
17: have enough experience.
20: Oh, sure we have. We've been practically living in theaters for the past two or three years.
19: Yeah, we can't afford hotels. Jerry! that's <laughs> well, the truth.
20: Well, that is about the truth, mister. We're broke, and we'll take just about any job that'll give us three square meals a day. You still haven't told me what you can do.
19: Well, I'm really terrific. See, I tell big jokes. I kill the people. Get a load of this one. You hear about the guy that started to work in a nightclub and he quit his job because the band was only six pieces, fife and drum? <laughs> you see, let me explain that to you, buddy. Just, no, just, wait, come here, man. No, let, me, let me explain to yeah, you you see fife and drum. That's six pieces. No, that's not six pieces. Fife is an instrument and drum. That's only two. But I made the joke sound like there was only six when there was really only two. When I tell the joke, people laugh and think it's so funny, but you, you? holy gee. <laughs>
17: so the rest is history. The agent took a chance and teamed the boys up. They went out on the stage of a small nightclub in Atlantic City, and the people loved them. Finally, they opened at the Copacabana in New York City. There were bright lights, glamorous stars, thousands of people milling around, and along with the other guests came Jerry's father.
19: Isn't this something, Pop? it been a long, hard pull, but it's worth it. What do you say to all the success your little Jerry had?
22: I still say I made a bobo. LAUGHTER
19: Oh. Good night, everyone. See you next
17: written by Charlie Isaacs, Zach Douglas, Dick McKnight, and Ray Allen. Next week, our guest will be Dorothy Kirsten. Martin Lewis currently may be seen in person on stage at the New York Paramount Theater and in conjunction with her picture, My Friend Irma. This is Ben Alexander suggesting you tune in to your NBC station for the Martin
8: and Lewis Show.
27: up now is William Bendix living the life of Riley on
28: NBC Your Coca-Cola bottler presents Claudia Based on the original stories by Rose Franken. Brought to you transcribed Monday through Friday by your friendly neighbor who bottles Coca-Cola. Relax, and while you're listening, refresh yourself. Have a Coke. And now, Claudia.
10: sure you're going the right way, Claudia? Yep. And you won't tell me where we're going?
14: Nope.
10: How oh, I let you inveigle me into this mysterious <laughs> expedition, I'll never know. It was
29: easy, Mama. I just asked you whether you wanted to come shopping with me. You said yes. We got into a bus. Here we are.
10: That's just it. The last time you did this sort of thing, we ended up by buying a dog. Oh,
29: we're not buying anything today, so cheer up. We're nearly there, too. Where? Where we're going.
10: This conversation is beginning to sound familiar. From
29: now on, I'll find out where we're going before I leave. Would you really like to know, Mama? No. Then I'll tell you. See, it all started when David brought home a doorknob last night. A doorknob?
10: It was very attentive of him.
29: Do you prefer doorknobs to candy or flowers
10: these days? Oh, it
29: wasn't for me. It was for a house he and Roger are building in Connecticut. Early American. I'm sure it's very nice, but I don't get the connection. You see, David wanted to be completely authentic about it in every detail. And... He knows this place where they have all sorts of old things, and, and he found just the right doorknob right there. Oh, an antique shop. Well, David calls it a junk shop. Mm,
10: and that's where we're going now? Yep. Yeah. I'm sorry I asked, because now I know. Haven't you got enough stuff in a furnished apartment as it is? Oh, this place has only good junk. Oh, such as doorknob. Mm-hmm. I suppose you're planning to put one on every door in your apartment?
29: It's an idea. <laughs> David said he saw the most beautiful old dining table there, who seats 40 people. That'd be a very handy thing to have around. You can never
10: tell when 40 people might drop in to sit around the table. And chat. Listen, don't worry, I'm not going to buy anything, Mom. I just want to look around. Then you got me down here under false pretenses. You said we were going shopping.
29: Window shopping.
10: The windows will probably be very dusty.
29: Look, there it is across the street. Where? Where the dusty windows are. It says the old curiosity shop.
10: Are we going to cross over or shall we admire it from here? Oh,
29: let's cross over. Not much traffic to look out for. It's a nice, quiet old street, isn't
10: it? I'm always suspicious of little shops with dusty windows on quiet streets.
29: I'm not. I like them. Hey, watch out for that piece of wood in the gutter.
10: I see it. Oh, it's an awful-looking place. Claudia, let's go home.
29: Not when we're right at the door.
10: No better time.
29: Oh, Mommy, you have no curiosity. Come on, come
10: on. Well, it's just
29: dusty enough
10: to make me curious at that. Come on.
29: Oh, look, it's just like another world in here. It's like a page out of Dickens. even smells like Dick. (laughs) God bless you. (laughs) Hey, you're not catching cold, are you? No, it's only this dust. Well, see that it is. Oh, look at that old suit of armor
30: in the corner. Yes, madam?
10: Did you say something, Claudia? No, did you? Somebody said something.
30: It was I, madam. I said yes. Where where are you? Here, behind the suit of armor. Oh. I'm oiling it. The, the iron gets rusty in the hinges unless I take good care of it. Is there anything particular you wanted? No, thanks. Nothing
29: in particular. Do you mind if we just look around? Oh, of
30: course. It's nice to have someone in the shop besides Pedro. Who's Pedro? He's the suit of armor. I call him Pedro because he's Spanish. Pedro's been with me a long time now.
10: He certainly looks very old.
30: Oh, he is. He's 500 years old, to be exact. And uh, he'll be here long after we're all gone.
29: That makes me feel chilly.
30: Everything here has a story. Just so long as you love beautiful things, you don't have to buy anything. You can just look to your heart's content.
10: Well, how nice. Thank you.
30: I'll be here if you want
10: me. Well, I hate to admit it, but I'm glad I came. Claudia, look. See that coffee cup over there on the table? The big one? Oh, brings back such memories. My grandfather always used to drink his coffee from a cup like that.
29: I'm well, going to buy it. Oh, you are not a big cup like that. Oh, Mama. Say, look at that magnificent oak table. Oh, wouldn't David love that? No, I guess he wouldn't. Hey, Mama, look. Right next to the desk up against the wall that? Just look.
10: Oh, that that chair is really very nice.
29: Very nice. It's beautiful. I wonder how much it is.
10: You came to window shop, remember, not to buy.
29: Well, you wanted to buy that old cup.
10: I am buying that old cup, if you please.
29: And I'm buying the chair so we're square.
10: But a cup doesn't take up any room. Where on earth would you put another chair in that apartment? Oh, someplace.
29: Let's pull it out where it's light so we can get a good look at it. Oh, dear. What happened? It it wasn't standing steady. It fell. Is
30: there anything wrong?
29: Well, I just wanted to look at this chair. I started moving it, and it came apart.
30: not everything here is in perfect repair. Everything is old, like me. Some things have stood up against time. Others have not. Uh, This chair you wanted to see, I'm afraid, is a casualty in our battle against time. The leg in the back, you see it falls off. Could it be fixed? It could, by the right person.
29: Then I think I'd like to buy it. Who could fix it for me, though?
30: I could. It's a beautifully made chair. I bought it in Massachusetts. Someone who didn't understand how fine it was delivered it to me, and it was broken when it arrived. I decided to leave it the way it was, unless someone wanted it badly. There are a lot of broken chairs and broken dreams in this shop. But you said it could be fixed.
29: The chair, I mean.
30: A chair can be mended more easily than a dream.
10: Don't you think you'd better find out how much it is, Claudia? How much is it?
30: Prices? Oh, there are no prices here. I know someone really wants something. I let them have it at a price I think they can afford.
29: Well, I can't afford a great deal, but I'd like to pay whatever you think it's worth.
30: That's a good spirit. Many ladies don't always feel like that. Could you afford, uh, say, $30 if I repair the leg? Oh,
29: yes.
10: Claudia. Are you going to pay $30 for a broken chair? No matter how much you wanted it, it isn't worth it, really.
29: Oh, but it's such a lovely chair, Mama. Wouldn't it be awful if you didn't like it? Do you think you could fix it and deliver it to me by... By five tonight. I live in the I'll city. I'll try.
30: Will not be a very perfect job. It'll however. do. We'll
29: have it fixed better later on when we get our own place. Oh, I'll write my name and address on this card and... Oh, yes. And, and and Mama wants that big cup and saucer. How much is it?
30: That's not for sale. Oh, what a shame. But if you will accept it as a gift, it's yours. Well,
10: thank you, but I couldn't accept it. The
30: pleasure it. is all mine, madam. The cup and the chair will be delivered by five. <laughs>
29: Nice old man. He really kept his word. Oh, look, doesn't the chair look beautiful, Mama? Do you think David will like it, though? Oh, I mean, do you think he'll be disappointed in my taste for buying it? He'll be home soon, and you can find out. Mama, you know, this chair is, is just like my first cake.
10: I failed to see the
29: comparison. It said that they were both pretty well smashed up. No, now be serious. It's like a milestone in our marriage. It's the first thing we really bought for our house with our own money. Something you
10: bought with David's money, you mean.
29: Same thing. Well, you
10: know, that's a very good formula for a very happy marriage.
29: There he is. There's David.
31: I'd climb the highest mountain. If I knew that when I climbed that mountain, I'd find you and Mrs. Brown. (laughs)
10: Well, if it isn't the singing architect. A song
31: with every house, and every house something to sing about.
10: David, you fool.
31: (laughs) Say, there's something in my eye. It's me. Oh, I didn't know it was you. You don't look like you.
29: Who do I look like? Somebody nice?
31: I'm not sure yet. Back up so I can see. Don't budge, Claudia. Now, what are you two hiding? Why are both of you standing in front of me like that?
29: I'm just standing next to Mama. And I'm just
10: standing next to Claudia.
31: Well, now that our relative positions are established, how would you two like to let me into the living room? We can all sit down and make believe we're home.
29: David, I bought something today.
31: Again? Animal, vegetable, or mineral?
29: It's not animal this time. It's wood.
31: Salad bowl. Let's go into the living room. It's less drafty than this hall.
29: It's not a salad bowl.
31: Piano? No, no, the apartment's too small for a piano.
29: It's not too small for a chair, though, is it, David?
31: A chair? What kind of chair?
32: An old one. A beautiful old one.
31: Oh, but we don't... You said it was an old one. I'll bet somebody passed it off on you as an antique. Where is it? In the living room. I've got to see this. Claudia, you don't know anything about oh, buying just a... Just wait.
29: Please hold your horse until you see it. There. Is... Is that the chair? Yes, David. I'm sorry if you don't like it, but I... I
31: don't like it? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. This looks like... Oh, no, no. It can't be. Wait a minute. Let me, let me turn it upside down. It is. Or if it isn't, it's the nearest thing to a duck and fife I've seen out of a museum. Lady, that's a chair that is a chair. How much was it? Don't tell me. I don't care.
29: I knew you'd like it, David. I, Oh, I don't know why I should be so happy about it, but I am.
31: And so am I. Hey, you know something? You're almost as good at picking chairs as you are at picking husbands and dogs.
29: I
10: guess it's safe to leave you two alone now. I'll say good night.
31: Why don't you stay for dinner, Mother. You deserve it for having such an intelligent
10: daughter. No, thanks. I've got dinner ready at home, and there are a lot of things I've got to do tonight.
29: Can't you do it tomorrow? Because you've got such an intelligent daughter? No. Good night. Don't bother coming. I'll find my way out.
31: Good night, Mother.
29: Good night, Mama. Good night,
13: children.
31: Well, come here, you.
29: Here I am.
31: That was to let you know I still love you. But now, about that chair. I didn't want to say this in front of Mother, but...
29: David, you don't like it?
31: better bet I like it, but we can't afford a chair like that, Claudia. It must have cost at least a couple of hundred dollars, even in its rough state.
29: Thirty.
31: Two hundred and thirty dollars? That's a lot of money, Claudia.
29: Not two hundred and thirty, David. Thirty. Thirty dollars for that chair?
31: Who'd you hit on the head?
29: No, when it was broken, but I wanted it anyway, so the man fixed it for me. He charged me thirty dollars. What man? man in the old curiosity shop where you were yesterday don't you remember you told me about it last night
31: oh oh mr haynes yes he's a nice old chap some people think he's crazy he must be to have sold you that for thirty dollars he's
29: not crazy david he just likes people who like nice things
31: you know something i do too i guess that's why i like you so much
29: i guess we both got good taste david Look, isn't it beautiful there in the middle of the room? I-, I wonder if it knows. Knows what? That it's the beginning
8: of our home.
28: All story material used in this broadcast of Claudia was under the supervision of Rose Franken and William Brown Maloney. You know, American families enjoy doing things together. And the pause that refreshes with ice-cold Coca-Cola has a pleasant way of fitting in with all the family doings. Now that Coca-Cola is more plentiful, you can keep the refrigerator stocked with a good supply. And when you're round the town... Remember, you can stop at the familiar red cooler and get a frosty bottle of Coke and go on your way refreshed. Every day, Monday through Friday, Claudia comes to you transcribed with the best wishes of your friendly neighbor who bottles Coca-Cola. So listen again tomorrow at the same time. And now, this is Joe King saying, Au revoir and remember, whoever you are, whatever you do, wherever you may be, When you think of refreshment, think of Coca-Cola. For ice-cold Coca-Cola makes any pause the pause that refreshes.
21: really the only coffee in the world? Well, your father says so. And your father knows best.
33: Yes, it's Father Knows Best, transcribed in Hollywood, starring Robert Young as Father. A half-hour visit with your neighbors, the Andersons, brought to you by America's favorite coffee, Maxwell House. The coffee that's always good for To the last drop. In every week, there are seven days. In every day, there are 24 hours. In every hour, there are 60 minutes or 3,600 seconds. That's a lot of time, isn't it? Time enough to do almost anything. Unless, of course, you happen to be a father. If you're a father like Jim Anderson, there's never enough time. Never enough minutes or hours or days. That's why, as a conscientious father, you're forced to take steps like this.
34: And so, gentlemen of the Springfield Service Club, let's take a look at the record. Let's put a microscope on the past year and see exactly how much cooperation I've received. Jim? Honey, if you're going to keep interrupting me,
21: I... I'm sorry, dear, but... Microscope sounds so funny. Don't you mean magnifying glass?
34: Well, you're being very technical, Margaret. It's just a figure of speech, so what difference does it make? Which one I use?
21: Not a great deal, I suppose, except that when you say microscope, you think of germs.
34: And that's exactly what they are, a bunch of germs. <laughs> Elect a man president and then don't lift a finger to help him.
21: I know, dear, but as long as you're going to result... It's supposed
34: to be such a great honor. I'd better wear this tie, huh?
21: Yes, dear, and I've laid your shirt out in the bed.
34: President of the service club. Just another way of saying, I'm too tired. Let Jim do it.
21: Jim, if you want me to hear the rest of your speech... They
34: can get another president. He can do all the work. I'm going to stay home with my family. Uh, Where was I?
21: You were looking at the record.
34: Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Let's take a look at the record. Let's put a magnifying glass on the past year and see exactly... Yes, Margaret.
21: You were right. Microscope sounds better. Uh,
34: (laughs) Thank you, Let's take a look at the record. Let's put a microscope on the past year and see exactly... It's a very
21: peculiar picture. I mean, putting a whole year into a tiny little microscope. But it does sound better when you say it. Margaret. Yes, dear?
34: This is a large microscope, the year size.
21: (laughs) Well, let's not worry about it. It isn't very important.
34: Yes. Uh... I won't
21: interrupt you again.
34: Margaret, if there's anything else you'd rather do... Jim,
21: I'm trying my best to listen.
34: Oh, that's what you were doing.
21: <laughs> of course, if you don't want me to hear the speech...
34: I do want you to hear the speech, but we've been at it for 15 minutes, and I haven't been able to get past the introduction. I'm so confused, I don't know if I'm getting dressed or undressed.
21: Mother! I'm in the bedroom, Betty. I think the string beans are burnt. Oh, dear, I forgot all about them. I'll be right down. Okay.
25: Okay.
34: Between the string beans and Kathy's bath and Betty's fingernails... Jim,
21: just because you're going out to dinner, that doesn't mean that we don't have to eat.
34: I didn't say that. I
21: have three growing children to take care of, and they're going to be fed in spite of you and the service closet.
34: I suppose I burned the string beans.
21: Well, they certainly didn't burn by themselves.
34: (laughs) Now, there's logic for you. I'm going out to dinner, so I'm responsible for everything that happens in the house. Blue sock, blue sock, blue sock. Why is it I can never... Bud! You want me? What happened to my... Oh. What's that, Dad? Never mind, I found it.
35: What?
34: I said never mind, I found it.
8: You
35: found what?
34: My other blue sock.
35: I haven't got it. (laughs) I know you
34: haven't, I just found it. You did? Yes! That's nice. (laughs) I thought you'd be happy. I'll give you 10 to 1 right now. He doesn't know what I'm talking about. And so, gentlemen of the Springfield Service Club, let us take a look at the record. Let's put a microscope on the past year. Uh, Let's put a magnifying glass on the past year. Let's take a close look at the past year. Look at the record. Look at the year. Hmm. Well.
25: Daddy.
34: Oh, no, not this.
25: Daddy, are you still here?
34: Me? Of course not. Didn't your mother tell you I left five minutes ago? Five minutes. What? If you look out the window, you can see me just turning the corner.
25: You're kidding me.
34: (laughs) Somebody told you. Daddy. Kathy, I haven't time to talk. I've got to leave in very few minutes.
25: Isn't that wonderful? What? Oh, I mean, going out for dinner and everything. That's what I meant, Daddy.
34: It is, huh?
25: Oh, yes.
34: I wonder. Kathy.
25: Yes, Daddy? I've
34: got to change my shirt and my trousers, so if you don't mind. What? Kathy, get out and close the door, please.
25: But I don't mind, Daddy.
34: (laughs) Well, I do. Now, please get out and close the door.
25: Gee whiz, nobody ever lets me stay anyplace. All I do is get out.
34: Just like living in an alley, that's what it is. Give a man the privacy of a goldfish. Let's take a close look at the past year and see exactly how much cooperation I have received. As president of the local service club, I've neglected my family, my business, even my golf for the sake of this organization. Examine your own consciences and ask yourselves, what did I do to help? Now, what happened to the darn things? You can never find anything around here. Margaret!
25: She isn't here, Father.
34: She was here two seconds ago.
25: She's trying to borrow some string beans from Miss Davis.
34: Oh, thank you.
25: You're welcome.
34: String beans. I can't find my cufflinks, and she's gallivanting all over the neighborhood chasing string beans. (laughs) Examine your own consciences and ask yourselves, in the past year, what did I do to help? What did I do to help? What did I do to help? What did I do to help?
8: <laughs>
34: Bud! He's taking those cufflinks again, so help me. Bud, come in here.
35: Okay, Dad, I'll be right in. If
34: I've told him once, I've told him a thousand times. I couldn't have made it any plainer.
35: You want me for something, Dad?
34: How many times have I told you to leave my cufflinks alone? Which cufflinks? My gold cufflinks, the ones the service club gave me. Oh, those Well, I don't know
35: You don't know what? How many times you told me
34: <laughs> Then why did you?
35: Why did I find? Take them Oh, I didn't
34: But if you didn't take them, where are they? Maybe Kathy took them
25: I did not
34: Well, if it isn't Millicent Mayflower, girl detective (laughs) Come in, Millie
25: Did you call me, Daddy?
34: Kathy, aside from the fact that it isn't polite to drop eaves on people What did you do with my cufflinks?
25: I didn't drop anything on anybody
34: What did you do with my cufflinks?
25: What cufflinks, Daddy?
35: His gold cufflinks that the service club gave him
25: I didn't ask you
34: Kathy, where are my cufflinks?
25: The gold cufflinks that the service club gave you? Yes I don't know (laughs) Oh, Kathy Gosh, Daddy, if I knew where they were, I'd be the first one to tell you I can't afford to have you I mean, you're almost late now
34: I am not almost late Dinner isn't until 7.30
25: But you always leave here before 7 You have to leave before 7 Why? Why? So you won't be late
34: Kathy Why are you so anxious To get me out of the house
25: I didn't say I was anxious Father
34: Uh, Just a minute Betty (coughs) Kathy What fiendish little scheme Is percolating in the back Of your equally fiendish little mind
25: (laughs) Why daddy
34: Uh, You're up to something You're up to no good And I want to know what it is (laughs) Now what's the matter
25: You're going to spank
34: me. I'm not going to spank you. I don't even know what you did.
25: Dad, is it all right
34: if I go back to my room? No, you stay right where you are. But I have homework to do. You can do it later. Right now, we've got to find my cufflinks. Holy cow.
25: (laughs) Father, now don't forget what you...
35: What's the matter with her? Daddy's
25: going to spank me.
35: What for?
25: I don't know.
35: (laughs) Betty, did you see Dad's
34: cufflinks?
25: No. Father, don't forget, you promised to drop the bridge tables and chairs off at the sorority house tonight.
34: I said no such thing. It was tomorrow night.
25: Father, they need them in the morning, and you promised. I don't want you to spank me. (laughs)
35: if you don't ever find your cufflinks,
25: then what happens to my own work? You said you'd take them and they're counting on it And if you don't, they won't ever speak to me again I'm
34: going to be a hermit, that's what I'm going to be (laughs) I'm going to grow a long white beard and live on top of a mountain In Tibet
25: Mother, he said he'd take the tables and chairs over
21: And now he says he won't Margaret, so help me, I didn't (laughs) Kathleen Daddy
25: said he was going to spank me
34: I said no such
35: thing, did I, Bud? I was sitting in my own room, minding my own
25: business. <laughs> <laughs> he said last night he'd take the chairs off. Betty. But now it changes his <laughs> Kathy.
8: <laughs> well, that's
21: better. Jim, I've never seen it to fail if I set one foot out of the house, absolute bedlam sets in.
34: That's not true. But if you're going to walk out in the middle of an emergency... What
21: emergency?
34: What emergency? The place is crawling with them. (laughs) Why don't you take them one at a time?
21: All right, I will. Bud?
35: All I want to do is my homework.
21: Go down to the kitchen and watch the string beans.
35: Yes, ma'am.
21: Betty? Father promised me... You'd better set the table in the breakfast room. But Father said... We'll take care of the chairs later.
25: Jumping creepers.
21: Now... My two little ones. (laughs) (laughs) Margaret, you realize that this whole thing
34: is absolutely ridiculous.
21: Kathy. Yes, Mommy? Why were you crying?
25: I didn't want Daddy to be here at 7 o'clock. Why? Because that's when she's coming here to speak to him. Who is? My teacher.
34: (laughs) Oh, that's what it was. Now, you see, Margaret,
21: I had a feeling from the very beginning... Jim. Hmm? What was your little problem?
34: My gold cufflinks are gone. They've disappeared. vanished. that's all.
21: What are those in your cuffs?
34: What? Well, how'd
11: they get there?
8: <laughs>
21: Jim, I told you I'd laid your shirt out. I put the cufflinks in the shirt to save you a little time.
34: Well, Margaret, let's face it. That's a pretty silly place to hide cufflinks. (laughs) Breakfast ready, darling?
0: Here's your coffee. The eggs will be done in a minute.
34: Good. Mmm.
36: Best coffee I ever tasted. That man you serve coffee to, here's something about him you ought to know. He's the world's greatest coffee expert. Yes, ma'am, your husband is the number one expert on coffee. Of course, we Maxwell House people, we think we're pretty fair experts. Our coffee is America's favorite brand. But the final judge, the real expert, is that man of yours. And if you'll pour him a cup of Maxwell House, we're mighty sure he'll say, Best coffee I ever tasted. In fact, if he doesn't, we'll give you your money back. You see, we know there's no coffee tastes like Maxwell House because no coffee's made like Maxwell House. No other coffee has that wonderful good-to-the-last-drop flavor. Get Maxwell House tomorrow. Start serving it to your husband. And if he doesn't say it's the best coffee there is, why, you return the can and unused portion to us, and we'll gladly refund the price you paid. Our address is right on the front of that familiar blue tin. Tomorrow, see how much the world's greatest coffee expert, your husband, enjoys Maxwell House coffee. Always good to the last drop.
8: (laughs)
33: Seven o'clock in Springfield. Of course, it's seven o'clock in other places as well. But in other places, the hour doesn't contain the same drama, the same suspense that it does in the Anderson Den. There, seven o'clock is a magic hour, fraught with excitement and just a small touch of mystery, like this. Kathy.
21: Yes, Daddy?
33: What did you do in
34: school?
21: I didn't do anything. Jim, why do you immediately assume that Kathy has done something wrong?
34: Well, why else would her teacher want to see me?
21: Maybe she doesn't want to see you, specifically. Yes, she does, Mommy. She said she had to see Daddy and she'd be here at 7 o'clock.
34: And naturally, she'd have to pick tonight.
21: Kathy, why didn't you tell us about this earlier?
34: Well, don't you have anything to say?
25: I'm trying to think of something.
8: (laughs) Mom.
34: Bud, we're very busy in here. We've got problems.
25: So have
35: I. If I don't finish my homework, how can I go to the movies with Joe Phillips?
34: You can't.
21: Well, then why can't I? Bud, please go back to the kitchen and watch the string beans. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want them to burn again, do we?
8: Go
35: ahead, Bud. Holy cow. Fifteen years old, and what am I? A string bean watcher. <laughs> <laughs>
34: Look, Kathy, I want you to think hard. Have you done anything wrong in school? Uh, have you kicked any footballs through anybody's window?
21: You mean today?
34: I mean any day.
21: Jim, Mrs. Lindsay will be here any Margaret, but... I
34: want to find out before she gets here. If Kathy's done anything and I can get it straightened out in advance, then I won't have to hang around and gab with Mrs. Lindsay. Kathy, please try to think. What could your teacher possibly want to see me about?
25: Well... Maybe Mrs. Woody called her. But I didn't mean to do anything.
34: You and Jimmy had another fight, huh?
25: He said I was a tomboy, and I'm not a tomboy. And I just showed him I wasn't. That's all. How? I punched him in the nose.
21: (laughs) (laughs) Kathleen, after all the promises you made. Well, he didn't have any right to say I was a tomboy,
25: did he, Daddy?
34: I don't know, Kathy. Is that all that happened?
25: Except for his shirt.
34: What happened to his shirt?
25: I was only trying to lift him back in his feet. (laughs) And I couldn't help it if it just ripped.
34: Margaret, what's the Woody's number?
21: Jim, don't you think if I call Dorothy...
34: I'll get it straightened out in two seconds. What's the number?
21: It's in the little book, dear, next to the phone.
34: By the time Mrs. Lindsay gets here, there won't be anything to talk about, and that'll be all right with me.
21: Kathy, why can't you ever learn to behave like a lady?
25: I was trying to be a lady, Mommy. I tried to help him all.
34: <laughs> oh, there it is. Uh, get the little monster a new shirt and everything will be right as rain. Hello, Dorothy. Uh, this is Jim Anderson. Oh, just fine, thanks. Say, Dorothy, we're awfully sorry about... No, I hadn't heard about the school paper drive. I was just... No. Look, Dorothy, I was just... Yeah, Yes, I know how successful it was, but I don't have the time this year to... to Dorothy, I, I just called to explain about Jimmy's shirt. You see, Kathy... What? Uh, didn't Jimmy say anything about it? Well, uh, I'm afraid it was Kathy's fault, and... Uh, uh, Dorothy, if you'll just buy him another shirt and send me the bill... then <laughs> I, I know it takes an experienced man, but I give you my word, Dorothy... Okay, as long as you put it that way. Yes, I'll call a meeting for next Monday night. (laughs) You're welcome, Dorothy. Good night. Paper drive. 8,000 men in the neighborhood, and she has to pick on me.
21: Is everything all right, Jim?
34: Dorothy didn't know anything about Jimmy's shirt, but shake hands with the chairman of the school paper drive.
21: (laughs) Jim, it won't do any good to give up your office in the service club if you're going to turn around... It wasn't
34: my idea, Margaret. She said I owed it to her on account of Jimmy's shirt. Well, what could I do?
21: Well, it'll only be for a month, and then you'll have all your evenings to spend with us. Mm -hmm. Father, Bud and I put the bridge tables and chairs
25: in the back of the car. What for? You said you'd deliver them.
34: I said I'd deliver them tomorrow, not tonight. Mother! Yeah. Margaret, it's clear over on the other side of town. It'll take me all night.
21: I know, dear, but after all, Betty promised. Please, Father.
34: All right. I'll take them over after I leave the dinner.
21: Oh,
25: thank you, Father. You're a lamb. Mm.
34: I'm getting just a little tired of being led to the slaughter. <laughs> <laughs> Daddy. Yes, Kathy?
25: Maybe it was Stevie Long.
34: (laughs) What about Stevie Long?
21: I didn't know it was his good sweater. Margaret. Kathy, did you tear Stevie's sweater?
25: Oh, no, Mommy. I was trying to fix it.
34: Mm, I can just see that.
25: (laughs) Well... I didn't know that was the thread that held the sleeve on. <laughs> and all I did was pull it a little bit.
34: And Stevie just stood there and let you, I suppose.
25: He wasn't even there. I was holding the sweater while he went inside to get the baseball.
34: What baseball?
25: The one I hit through the living room window. <laughs>
34: Kathy... You said you hadn't broken any windows.
25: You said today. This was yesterday.
34: Oh, Kathleen.
25: Anyway, you said with a football, and this was a baseball. Kathy,
21: when are you going to realize that you're not a boy?
25: I don't know.
34: (laughs) Is there any other child in Springfield who gets into half as much mischief as you do? Don't you know how to say anything but I don't know?
21: I don't know Margaret The Long's number is next to the phone, dear I
34: know the Long's number This is the fifth time we've had to pay for that same window I ought to know their number by now
25: This isn't the same window, Daddy It's the big one in the front
34: (laughs) Well, that makes it much better (laughs) I don't know why I ever went into the insurance business I should have opened a glass factory. (laughs) Well, hello, Harry. Now, this is Jim Anderson. Well, I haven't had a chance to play much golf lately. I've been sort of tied up with... No, Harry, I... uh... Harry, I just want to explain about the living room window. You see, Kathy was playing baseball. Yes, I know it's insured, but if I can just tell Mrs. Lindsay that we've got the whole thing... No, it isn't all right, Harry. I just as soon... Harry, I haven't got time to be on the Greens Committee.
8: <laughs>
34: I'm going to resign as president of the Cir- Look, Harry, I know that it. But I don't have one evening a week. I've got a family, Harry, and I don't see them from. Look, uh, uh, can't I just send you a check for the window? Okay, Harry. Eight o'clock at your house. On Wednesday. Yes, Harry. Okay, good night I don't know, every time I pick up the phone I'm a member of something else
21: Did you straighten everything out with Harry, dear?
34: Oh, sure It was a plate glass window And he's already collected the insurance And now I'm a member of the Greens Committee At the golf club
21: Jim, if this keeps up Every
34: Wednesday night What to do with the grass Where to put the cups And who ran away with the trap In front of the 15th Green (laughs) I'll probably wind up in back of a lawnmower Daddy I don't want to hear another word out of you
21: But I just thought of something Jim, she's only trying to help
34: you Oh, sure, she's helping me just fine I'm a paper collector and a grass cutter And I still don't know what Mrs. Lindsay wants
35: I do Mom, the string beans are boiling over Oh, dear
21: I'll be right there, bud Now, Kathy, tell your father what you did And then wash your hands Dinner's almost ready Yes, Mommy Well What?
11: What did you do?
25: Oh, I think I know what I did, but it wasn't my fault, Daddy.
34: Nothing is ever your fault. I've never seen a child who could do more things that weren't her fault.
25: Well, how did I know her father wasn't through with them?
34: Wasn't through with what?
25: The neckties.
34: What neckties?
25: The ones I told Lori Hathaway to use. For what? To tie up the gold. (laughs) What gold? What gold? the one I found in the lot.
34: You brought a goat over to the Hathaways?
25: Well, you wouldn't let me keep it here, would you? And I didn't know it was going to eat all Mr. Hathaway's flowers.
34: Oh, Kathy. What am I going to do with you?
25: Spank me.
34: Now I've got to call the Hathaways. And I don't care what committee he wants me to be on, I'm going to pay for the flowers and the ties and that's all.
25: I'm sorry, Daddy.
34: Can you, uh, Think of anything else?
25: You mean lately? <laughs> hi, hi. Oh, it's Mrs. Lindsay. Did you call me, Jim?
34: Never mind. I... Good, never mind.
21: Hello, Mrs. Lindsay. Yeah, I'll clean you, sweet child.
34: Come in, Mrs. Lindsay. I, uh, I've been waiting for you.
21: Thank you, Mr. Anderson. This is a very great pleasure.
34: Yes. Shall we uh, go into the living room? Thank you.
21: I'm sorry, Mrs. Lindsay. About what, dear? About whatever I did. Mrs.
34: Lindsay, I've been calling people
21: all night. Why, Kathleen, you haven't done anything, have you?
25: Haven't I? (laughs) Not that I know
21: of. Gosh!
34: Oh, wait a minute. If she hasn't done anything, what did you want to see me
21: about? Mr. Anderson, I have the most wonderful news for you. You've been elected president of the PTA. Congratulations. (laughs) Oh, no.
36: What is it that puts so much real enjoyment in a steaming cup of coffee? Why, it's flavor. Yes, and when you buy coffee, you certainly want to get the most in flavor for your money. Now, that's something the world's greatest coffee expert can help you find. Your husband. He's the expert we mean. Just serve him a cup of Maxwell House coffee. And then when he says, best coffee I ever tasted, you'll know Maxwell House has the flavor that it's your coffee buy. Find out tomorrow. Buy a pound of Maxwell House. Start serving it to your husband. And count all the truly good cups of coffee you get from that one pound. At your own table, find out how much more you get for your money with Maxwell House coffee. Always good to the last drop.
33: The night is dark. The clock strikes two. And the white frame house on Maple Street stands hushed beneath the starless sky. In the Andersons' quiet bedroom, a figure moves, and Margaret stirs softly on her downy couch, like this. Jim? Oh, did I wake you, honey?
21: Mm, I was just dozing. Jim? Yes, dear? Don't be too upset about tonight.
34: You mean about Kathy?
21: (laughs) I mean about giving up the presidency of the service club. I know it meant a great deal to you. Yes. <clears throat> did they like your speech?
34: Oh yes, they loved it. Mm, that's nice. They thought it was just great. And you know what?
21: Mm, what, dear?
34: I was reelected. <laughs>
21: <laughs> Good night, Jim. Good night, dear.
36: Tell the kids it's a hot favorite with Hoppy. That's hot post wheat meal. And you won't have to coax the youngsters to eat a hot cereal for breakfast if you tell them how Hopalong Cassidy loves hot post-wheat meal. Hoppy knows it's chuck full of good, solid nourishment. He goes for the rich, nut-like flavor. And you'll go for the fact that post-wheat meal cooks in just three and a half minutes. So get hot post-wheat meal and tell the kids it's Hoppy's favorite. You'll see. You'll all agree. It's the best hot cereal you ever ate.
33: Join us again next week when we'll be back with Father Knows Best, starring Robert Young as Jim Anderson, with Roy Barkey and the Maxwell House Orchestra, and yours truly, Bill Foreman. So until next Thursday, good night and good luck from the makers of Maxwell House, America's favorite brand of coffee. Always good to the last drop. Father Knows Best was transcribed in Hollywood and written by Ed James. Now, stay tuned in for Dragnet, which follows immediately over most of these stations.
37: Ladies and gentlemen, the secret word tonight is milk. M I L K. Really? You bet your life! <laughs> The Soto Plymouth Dealers of America present Groucho Marx in You Bet Your Life, the comedy quiz series produced and transcribed from Hollywood. And here he is, the one, the only. Anybody got a dime for a cup of coffee? Oh, that's me, Groucho Marx!
8: Thank you.
38: Well, here I am again with $1,500 for one of our couples tonight. George Feniman who's face to try
37: for it. A couple about to be married, Groucho. They were selected by our studio audience just before we went on the air. And here they are, Miss Marie Fortin and Mr. Harry Chauzet Meet Groucho
38: Marks. Welcome for the DeSoto Plymouth Dealers, youngsters. And if one of you says the secret word, he wins $100 in cash instantly. It's a common word, something you'll uh, find around the house. Mary, uh, 14, is that, uh... 14.
16: Forkton. <laughs>
38: Harry uh, Charsey, is that right? Chorsay. huh? Where are you from, Harry? I'm from Salix, Iowa. Where's that uh, near? Any place? Oh, next to Sioux City. <laughs> Why did you leave your hometown there, Harry? I
31: no, wanted come out to the west. Well, was it a good
38: move when you left?
31: Oh, I think so. I met Marie by coming out here.
38: Well, answer my question. Was it a good move when I, left? <laughs> I made a mistake when I left my hometown. If I hadn't made the mistake, I wouldn't have had to leave. Right? <laughs> so you two are going to get hooked up, huh? Yes. Yeah. Well, that's very nice. Huh? What kind of work do you do, Harry? I'm a
31: machinist in Arabian American Oil Company, Saudi Arabia.
38: You going over there, over there?
31: Yes, we're going back over there.
38: How did you meet Superman here, uh, Marie?
16: Well, I met him in the first grade. We went to school together. <laughs>
38: And never had another fellow from the first grade up to now? Oh, yes. <laughs> you just took him as a last resort, is
8: that
38: it? What about you, Harry? Have you had any other girls in the uh, interim between the first grade and Arabia? No. No. <laughs> That's the most lying laugh I've ever seen.
8: <laughs>
38: Did she accept you immediately after you worked up enough courage to propose, uh, Harry? No, not right away. Really. You got to squeeze it out of her, huh? <laughs> <laughs> you remember the circumstances of his big love scene, Marie? Uh...
16: Well, he took me dancing to various places around the city. And, uh, well, he didn't ask me to marry him. He asked me if I wanted to go to Arabia. LAUGHTER
8: <laughs> <laughs>
38: Certainly a roundabout proposal if I ever heard. Right? <laughs> driving, I must try that sometime. <laughs> driving with a guy in the car, and you say, I'd oh, like to go to Arabia. <laughs> and what is there about Romeo that caused you to fall in love with him?
16: Oh, his charming personality. <laughs>
38: Could you give us an example of your personality?
16: In-
8: <laughs> 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 Just stood and grinned at her, eh? <laughs>
38: Well, he seems like a very nice fellow, Marie. Now, what do you like about Marie, Harry?
31: Mm, I guess it's her sense of humor.
38: She has a good sense of humor? How do you know? She always laughs at my jokes. (laughs)
8: How do
38: you know she's laughing at your
8: jokes? (laughs) How do you know it isn't
38: the string on her corset that's tickling her? (laughs) Does
8: Does that ever occur to you, Harry,
31: I don't think she wears a corset
8: <laughs>
38: you don't think she wears a corset you? you're taking this girl all the way to arabia and you're not sure whether she wears a
8: corset
38: <laughs> well you've aroused my curiosity i'll never rest until i hear you tell a joke could you uh could you tell us a small joke I don't believe I know any small ones.
31: <laughs>
38: <laughs> well, tell us a wow, huh? <laughs> uh,
8: did
38: you ever hear the one about the fellow that played on the girls' basketball team? Oh, that's pretty good. I like that, huh? <laughs> Is that the sort of thing you laugh at,
16: Marie? <laughs> You're supposed to say, how, how can a fellow play on a girls' basketball team?
38: Oh, I see. There's more to it, huh?
16: <laughs>
38: well, okay, how can a fellow play on a girls' basketball
8: team?
16: He lied about his age.
38: That'll certainly kill him in Arabia, then.
8: <laughs>
38: Are you going to be the jealous type of wife, Marie?
16: No, I don't think so.
38: You won't mind if he steps out with another gal occasionally, eh? Yeah?
16: Oh, he wouldn't do that. <laughs>
38: Suppose you're sitting home all alone and uh, Harry is waking late at the office. You're watching the television matches on the uh, machine. And suddenly you see Harry in the first row at the wrestling matches with a beautiful babe.
16: What would you do? Well, that's impossible. (laughs) Why is it impossible? Uh, We don't have television.
8: This is beginning
38: to sound like Burns and Allen. (laughs) Marie, forget the television set. Suppose Harry's waking late and you go over to the Palladium and there's Harry dancing with a pretty blonde. What would you do?
16: Oh, I'd walk up to him and ask him to explain.
8: Well, that's
38: very logical.
8: There's
38: only one thing that puzzles me. What are you doing at the Palladium while he's... (laughs) Well, you're both very nice kids, and inasmuch as you'll soon be married, in just one minute, you're going to have a chance to make
8: $1,500.
37: Yes, tomorrow is a great day at all DeSoto Plymouth dealers. The brilliant new DeSoto is now on display, and the great Plymouth goes on display for the first time tomorrow. The great new Plymouth is a sensational new high for value in the low-priced field. But you be the judge. Look at it. Then climb into it and get the feel of this car. Put it up hills and through traffic. Give it the toughest tests you know. And as for value, you'll find this good-looking royal riding car is packed with value and ready to prove it. Ignition key starting. Improved air pillow ride. The quick, true stops of safeguard hydraulic brakes. The lively power of the high-compression engine and many other features exclusive with the great new Plymouth. Now, more than ever, Plymouth is the car that likes to be compared. For beautiful new styling, for roomy comfort, for easy riding and wonderful handling, for dollar for dollar value. So meet your new Plymouth, the American beauty, tomorrow at your DeSoto Plymouth dealers.
8: Let's
38: see if a couple of youngsters about to be married are going to get the DeSoto Plymouth $1,500 question. Fenneman, explain the
37: rules. Each of our three couples has $20. They bet as much of that 20 as they want on each of four questions. The couple that earns the most money gets a chance at the $1,500 DeSoto Plymouth question at the end of the show. Our other two couples are in a waiting room off stage, so they don't know what's happening out here.
38: Here we go. Let's see how high I can build you $20. You selected initials of organizations as your category. Is that right? Here's your first question. You have $20. How much are you going to risk?
39: dollars
38: What educational organization do the initials PTA stand for?
16: Parent Teacher Association. That's
38: right, Parent Teachers Association. Oh, they're on their way, Groucho. They have $25. Ah, you swing along, you got $25. How much of the $25 are you going to try? 10 What government body does AEC stand for?
16: Atomic Energy Commission. Well,
38: you're just wonderful, Maria. Huh? <laughs>
16: they're climbing now,
38: Groucho. They have $35. Here's your third question. You got 35 How much are you going to try? Fifteen. Fifteen. Fifteen dollars. For what informative organization do the initials I.N.S. stand for? I.N.S. Take a stab.
16: I don't believe I know that.
38: Oh, I, I'm, I'm sorry. It's uh, International News Service.
11: They
37: now have $20,
38: Roger. All right, you now got $20. Here's your last chance to beat the other couples. How much of the 20 are you going to try now? Twenty. What labor organization do the initial CIO stand for? Congressional industrial organization. That's close no. enough. Congress of Industrial Organizations oh. is close yeah. enough.
37: And they wind up with a
8: total of forty dollars.
38: Thanks and good luck from the DeSoto Plymouth dealers. Now don't sneak off to Arabia yet. You still might get the chance at the big question.
37: you all the yes, secret, George. The secret word is still milk. Perhaps our next couple will say it. Just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected a house mover, Mr. Ab Wilson, and his partner is a housewife, Mrs. Pat Johnson. And here they are. Folks, meet Groucho Marks. Welcome to You bet your life.
38: And if one of you says the secret word, he wins $100 in cash instantly. It's a common word, something you'll find around the house. A house mover and a, and a housewife, eh? Mrs. Uh, Johnson, uh, I'll, I'll bet you're the housewife, is, is that right? That's
25: right. right.
38: And <laughs> uh, where are you from, Mrs. Johnson?
9: I'm from Denver, Colorado.
38: You must be the house mover, huh? See, I'm the house mover. I'm the big boy. <laughs> Ab Ab Wilson is... That's uh, right. What does Ab stand for? Is that Abe? It's Ab.
39: Uh, That's Ab. Well, I never heard
38: that. that name. Is that a, a derivative of Abe or uh, yeah. Abner or what? Uh?
39: Uh, well, I guess it would be, you know,
38: you take a house mover, they... The less material you have, the better off you are, you know.
8: <laughs> <laughs>
38: what, what is a house mover? Do you move houses? Or... Yes, sir. You move whole houses?
39: Whole houses, yes, sir. Where
38: are you from, Ab? Walks to Hatchie, Texas. Walks a, Is that near Nacogdoches? Or... <laughs> what is the biggest uh, hazard in your profession? Is it housemaid's knee? Uh... Well, no. It's uh, going over up or down a hill, you know. and get Break loose, you know, and get away, and... Well, what do you do when they break loose? You stand there with your fingers and your ears and your no. eyes closed?
8: <laughs> what happens
38: to the occupants uh, when you move a house? Do they just pitch a tent by the side of the road and uh, well, no, until no, you're through? They, no, they can live right on in the house. It's... <laughs>
8: so, suppose
38: they're moving the house and the husband is still in the, in the bathtub. Well, I'd take him right along. You don't spill no water.
8: <laughs> he might step right
38: out of the tub and into the lobby of the Biltmore Hotel. <laughs> How long have you been moving houses? About 40 years. Mm-hmm. Can, you, can you move any building?
39: Yes, sir.
38: Could you move the Empire State well, Building uh, in Chicago? I could if it wasn't for the wind. To... You could move the Empire State Building in Chicago? If it wasn't for the wind, yes. Wouldn't be easy, you know. It's in New York, the building. <laughs> 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 it does
8: make be a
38: little windy. Well, I suppose many unusual things happen to you oh, in your business. Oh, yes. Could, yes you, uh, could you remember any outstanding experience well, if you care to relate? Uh, no more than I got uh, moved to move the house, wrong house on the, the <laughs> right house on the wrong lot, you know. What was that? You? I got moved the <clears throat> house on the wrong lot. Not exactly the wrong lot. I just got the wrong house on the, uh, on, uh, the <laughs> wrong wrong house
8: on the wrong lot. <laughs> <See>? <laughs> What do you
38: mean? You moved the lot over to the wrong house? <laughs> I moved it to the wrong lot. Then I had to get it off before the man caught me, you know. <laughs> well, let's start over again, okay. huh? Okay. Could you move the Empire State Building in Chicago? I could if it wasn't for the wind.
8: <laughs>
38: Even though it's in Cleveland? What you do? Well, thanks to you, Ab, I know all about house moving. Now, okay, you two are you. going to get a chance to play your Bet Your Life for $1,500. You run your $20 and more than the other couples, and you get a chance at the Big DeSoto Plymouth question later. Fenneman's offstage to remind our listeners how much the
37: first couple won. The couple about to be married won $40.
38: Here we go. Let's see how high I can build your $20. You selected famous dogs as your category. Is that right? Now, here's your first question. You have $20. How much do you want to bet and talk right up? $10. Okay. What's the name of the famous collie dog that stars in motion pictures? I'm, I'm sorry. The answer is Lassie.
37: They now have $10. How
38: much of the $10 will you try?
8: Five.
38: What's the name of Blondie and Dagwood's dog? Well, I'm sorry. It's well, Daisy. Well, I
0: wanted
25: nursery rhymes, but oh. then already it already been taken. Oh,
38: I see. Well, that's a shame. They now have $5, Groucho. Well, you've only got $5. And here's your third question. How much of the five will you try? Three. What's the name of Mickey Mouse's dog? Mm-hmm. Don't they have any dogs in Denver? The dog's name is Pluto. They now have $2,
37: Groucho. Well,
38: now you're only down to $2. How much of the $2 are you going to try?
40: $1, I guess. $1. All right.
38: What's the name of the late President Roosevelt's... of the of late President Roosevelt's little Scotty? Now, that's been the papers for a long time. Well, I, I'm sorry. It's Falla. I'm going to give you one more chance to make some money. It's not going to be uh, so easy, so think hard now. And no help, please. Who is buried in Grant's tomb?
13: Grant. General Grant is right.
38: (laughs) Thanks and good luck from the DeSoto Plymouth dealers. Now, it won't be long before we know who's going to earn the chance at the $1,500 DeSoto Plymouth question. George, who's leading at
37: this point? The young couple are ahead with $40, and the secret word is still milk. Just before we went on the air, we went looking through our studio audience for the parents of the most children. And here come the mother and the father who were chosen. Mr. and Mrs. Marion D. Story, meet Groucho Marx. Welcome, youngsters, for the DeSoto Plymouth dealers.
38: <laughs> and if you say the secret word, you win 100 bucks in cash instantly. It's a common word, something you'll find around the house. Mr. and Mrs. Marion D. Story. Marion, which one of you is Marion? Oh. Marion. I thought you were already married. Uh... <laughs> well, that was a whirlwind courtship, huh? Eh?
8: <laughs>
38: Mr. Story, your, your first name is, is Charlotte, is that right? That's right. Charlotte, huh? Where, where, where are you from, Charlotte?
41: Uh, Bakersfield, California, about 100 miles north from here.
38: Marion, what
39: do you do for a living? I'm a sign painter. Sign painter, huh? How'd you meet Indian sign here, Charlotte?
8: <laughs> <laughs>
39: oh, I met him on a boat, and it was raining real hard.
41: This night, and uh, he uh, said, Would you share your umbrella with me? And I said, Sure. And so. Uh... <laughs>
8: and
41: so. Uh... That's a pretty corny approach there, Marion. <laughs> it
38: worked. How long have you kids been married?
41: 28 years.
38: Well, you're a fine looking couple. Now, Mr. Story, according to Fenneman, you two are up here because. You're the parents of the largest family, is, is that correct?
39: I guess I am. Yes, <laughs> it is.
38: You mean you only guess you have a large family? <laughs> no. I'm, I'm... Haven't you counted the livestock lately? <laughs>
39: uh, there's no question about the family.
38: Uh, it's just a question why you're up here, huh?
8: <laughs>
38: Mr. Story, how many times have you been a mother? Twenty times. Oh. Is this really true, 20 uh, children,
39: Marion? That is true, 20.
38: Just what she said. (laughs) Apparently nothing's happened in the last few seconds anyway. (laughs) Well, uh, Mr. Story, my hat, if it was on, would now be off to you. You're a remarkable woman. Tell me, Popsicle, uh, (laughs) when you see a lot of kids around your house, uh, how do you know if they're all yours? Well, I remember faces. You never forget a face, eh? <laughs> Could you give us the names? Could you reel them off for me? Uh...
41: Well, I'll start with the twins. There's Jean and Jane, and Jimmy and Jeanette, and Gary and Sherry, and Eileen and Arlene. That's twins. Four sets of twins. Mm-hmm. There's two sets of uh, girl twins, and there's two sets of mixed twins. Mixed twins, huh? Oh, and the others all goes by the name of Jean and Jane and Jack and Jacqueline and June, and so on and so forth.
38: (laughs) How old are the children, uh, Mrs. Story?
41: Well, the oldest is uh, from 27 to 3 years old.
38: Mm. Have you ever thought of adopting any children? (laughs) No, it never
8: occurred to me. (laughs) Tell
38: me, Pop, with each new kid, do you go around passing out cigars?
39: Well, I used to. I stopped at about a dozen.
8: <laughs>
39: what do you You pass out yourself now, is that
38: it?
8: <laughs> well,
38: tell me, Pop. Pop, that's the understatement of the year. Uh, Paul Bunyan, uh, if you can't remember all the names, how do you know who to call when you want something uh,
39: well, if I we want one of the boys, I just say, son. <laughs>
8: Aren't
38: you afraid of getting trampled in the rush? Huh?
8: <laughs> I know. Now, what
38: kind of living quarters do you have? The Hotel Bakersfield?
41: <laughs> no, we have uh, two acres. And we have a ten-room house and uh, two showers and a bath. And...
38: and do you have a cop in the hallway directing traffic? Huh? <laughs> Well, with all these income tax deductions, uh, how do you make out around March 15th, Pop?
39: I haven't paid income tax for years.
38: (laughs) You wouldn't want to loan me about eight kids, huh? (laughs) How do you manage to feed 20 kids? Uh, Do you do it in shifts?
41: Well, that's easy. I have a budget and... um... I buy everything wholesale, and,
8: and
41: <laughs> I start breakfast at 5 o'clock in the morning. I get all the work, and one's off to work, and then uh, I've got uh, ten, 10 to get off for school, and, and I got some home, and I finally get through about 7 o'clock at night. And then
38: What's your grocery bill amount to every week, uh, Charlotte? That's not it, too uh, uh, personal a question.
41: Well, it runs to $100 a week. And,
38: uh, Suppose the family's having lunch on Sunday. What would you ordinarily find on the table?
41: Well, Besides a few of the you're... children,
38: huh? A few of
8: the children are all there.
41: Well, I'll take uh, Thanksgiving Day. Well, uh, we had uh two 30-pound turkeys, and uh, we had 20 pounds of roast chicken, and uh, we had a gallon of mashed potatoes. And, uh, <laughs> And uh, 14 pumpkin pies, and 8 mince pies, and 6 cranberry pies, and gallons of salads, and...
39: (laughs) And
38: what do you use for toothpicks, a redwood log? (laughs) Marion, tell me, as the father of 20 kids, have you had any unusual or unforgettable experience?
39: (coughs) I've had lots of unusual experiences... Uh we were living in Sacramento, and coming into the hospital, we had to borrow our neighbor's car because ours was broken down.
38: Should have had a DeSoto.
39: <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, we came to the American River Bridge, and we got to the first approach. My mama says, take it easy, Pop.
8: <laughs> so
39: we had the car stopped, and one baby was born. And I says, Well, go ahead now. We'll get to the hospital fast. So the driver got in. We started and we got to the other end of the bridge. Mama says, Take it easy, Pop.
38: That's why they call them suspension bridges.
8: Bridges hereafter.
38: <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Mrs. Story? Have you had an unusual experience?
8: <laughs> well, uh,
41: when Jerry was born...
38: What number was he? Do you oh, he was
41: number 12.
8: Number 12.
41: <laughs> I remember that very clearly. What I got out of th- the hospital and I went home. Well, there was uh, 11 down with a hoot and cough and measles. Aww. Aww. So, uh...
38: You never realized that night when you were on the bay and it was raining and you had the umbrella that uh, all this was going to happen. Oh,
8: no, no, no.
41: <laughs>
8: well,
38: that'll teach you, Mr. Story, never carry an umbrella when it's raining.
8: <laughs> well,
38: it's, it's really been inspiring having you two here tonight. And, Mr. Story, you have every right to be the proudest mother in the country. Now, you're going to play the DeSoto-Plymouth game, you bet your life. If you beat our other two couples, you get a crack at the $1,500 question. I can't tell you how much they won, but George is offstage. Remind our listeners.
37: The young engaged couple is still ahead with forty dollars.
38: Here we go. Let's see how high I can build you twenty dollars. You selected nursery rhymes as your category. Is that right? And that's a subject you ought to know a great deal about. Yes, you have twenty dollars, and how much are you going to try? Ten. Who called for his fiddler's three? Old King Cole. Old King Cole
39: is right. <laughs> And
38: they're on their way, Roger, with $30. All right, you got $30. Remember, you're going for $1,500 tonight. How much of the 30 are you going to try?
39: 25
38: 25 Who was asleep under the haystack when he should have been tending sheep? Uh, Come on no. now. Oh, I'm sorry, it's a shame, but it was little boy blue. Very easy to get confused on that. They now have $5. Oh, you're all the way down to $5. All right now. Here's your third question. You got $5, and how much are you going to bet?
39: $5.
38: Who picked a peck of pickled pepper?
39: Peter Piper. Peter
38: Piper is right.
39: <laughs> On the way
37: again, they have $10. All
38: right, now you got $10. Here's your last chance to beat the other couples. How much of the 10 are you going to bet? All of it. All right, who fell down the hill and broke his crown? Jack. J- Jack is right.
37: And they wind up with $20. And that means the young engaged couple gets the chance at the DeSoto Plymouth $1,500 question. You've got to see it to believe it. You've got to drive it to appreciate it. Yes, that's the new Plymouth. The great new Plymouth that's packed with value and ready to prove it. Prove this to yourself tomorrow at your DeSoto Plymouth dealers. Let your dealer arrange a demonstration drive. Then compare. Compare the value in this great new car with that in other leading low-priced cars. Compare the new beauty and style, the easy riding and wonderful handling the great engineering that makes it the low-priced car most like high-priced cars. Check the prompt convenience of Plymouth's ignition key starting, the flashing getaway power of the high-compression engine, the soft velvet stops of safeguard hydraulic brakes, the protection of safety rim wheels, and many other exclusive Plymouth features. Yes, check and compare. For beauty, for power, for room, for riding comfort. Plymouth, now more than ever, the car that likes to be compared. See this great new Plymouth, the American beauty, at your DeSoto Plymouth dealers tomorrow. And while you're there, don't miss seeing the brilliant new DeSoto as well, a car that's truly new, with new features from bumper to bumper, the finest car that has ever borne the name DeSoto. Learn why your DeSoto Plymouth dealer is so proud of the two superb cars he has on display, the great new Plymouth and the brilliant new DeSoto. Here's the young couple all ready for the DeSoto Plymouth $1,500 question, Groucho. All right, here we go for $1,500. Ready? I'll give you 15
38: seconds to decide on one single answer between you, so think carefully and please no assistance from the audience. Here it is. Frederick Augustus Bartholdi was a famous French sculptor. His best-known work is well-known to all of us. What is Bartholdi's great work?
8: (laughs)
3: Statue of, Liberty. Statue of Liberty is right.
8: Yeah.
38: That's right. You win one thousand five hundred dollars. You had the right answer. What are you going to do with all that money?
34: i to give it all to
8: Marie. <laughs> what are you going to do with it, Marie? I'll take care of it. Oh. <laughs>
38: Congratulations from the more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers from coast to coast.
37: You'll Bet Your Life is a John Goodell production transcribed from Hollywood, directed by Bob Dwan and Bernie Smith, music by Jerry Fielding. Be sure to tune in again next Wednesday night at this time for the Groucho Mark Show, You'll Bet Your Life presented by the more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers of America. And remember, all dealers who sell DeSoto also sell Plymouth. Two great cars, both products of the Chrysler Corporation. And don't forget, next week's Big Question will be worth $1,000.
38: Well, it's almost time for the Bing Crosby Show, and tonight I understand his guest star will be that incomparable comedian of You Bet Your Life. Hey, that's me, Groucho Marx! See you again in a few minutes, folks, and remember... Just be sure to see your DeSoto Plymouth dealer.
37: Here's a tip from the National Safety Council. When you're in your car, be a wise driver, not a wise guy. This is George Fenton signing off for the more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers from coast to coast. <laughs>
15: As if to
42: climax the series of suspicions which had grown in Molly Goldberg's mind from day to day and hour to hour, Molly discovered yesterday that the Allisons have concealed the truth about Sammy's absence. When the Goldbergs arrived in South Carolina for Sammy's wedding and found him gone, at first Molly believed Sylvia's story that Sammy was away on business for her father. But then Molly learned that Sammy had sent a telegram to Lastonberry, saying that the marriage was off and that he was leaving. And Molly became frantic. Meanwhile, Allison himself no longer can stand the strain of deceiving the Goldbergs. He wants to tell them the truth. He wants to find out what he can of the quarrel that Sylvia had with Sammy. And he talks, to, and as he talks to Sylvia downstairs, Molly's upstairs saying to Rosalie,
32: Rosalie, lies, lies, Rosalie, all lies. Hamley's not here, and they said he went on a business trip. Lies, Rosalie darling. Mommy, darling, please. Where are we? Where are we, Rosalie? What kind of people are we? What happened and where is family, Rosalie? Mom, well, why did the telegram say exactly? Exactly the telegram said, Rosalie. Exactly the telegram said. Don't come out. I'm leaving. Marriage is off. Letters will follow. As, as soon as he gets here and he's letting mine, he'll know more. I know enough. I know enough, Rosalie. Where's Papa now? Papa has to know. Papa must know. And he left, and not home, he's and then left, he left, left just before we got here, Ma'am. He didn't have time to get home. He's not here, Ma'am. He should be happy. Oh, I should be very happy. I should be very extremely happy. I should be dancing now from joy. There's Papa. Papa has to know. Oh, how am I going to tell Papa how? Rosalie? Rosalie, I'm going downstairs, and I'm going to tell Mr. Allison and tell Sylvia that I know everything. They're not fooling me. Wait for Papa, my. He'll be here soon. How oh, could you stand? How could she stand in front of me with her wedding dress on yet, Rosalie? How could she stand and lie and lie and lie? How, Rosalie? How? Mama, darling, please. They welcomed us here. They welcomed us here. And they showed us into a house full of lies. And we waited for family. And we're waiting for family. We believed them. And all the time family wasn't here. And they knew he wasn't here. And they told us he was coming back. Rosalie, they told us he was on a business trip. Oh, poor Papa. Poor Papa. When Papa hears this, Rosalie. Poor Papa. Ma, you'll fall to pieces, Rosalie. You'll fall to pieces. What shall I do first, Rosalie? What shall I do first? Should I go to Ed, the brothers in law and see what I can find out from him? If he called me in Laskinberry yet months and months ago, for family not to come here, then he knows more than I know. Maybe he knows where family is. Maybe he knows why. I don't know what to tell you, Mama. dog Please, Sammy. Please, Sammy. <laughs> no tears, Mama. No tears. No tears. no tears. no tears. Now I need brain. Now I need to revolutionize my life. Now I have to learn to deal with people I never before knew existed in the human race. All my life, the worst people I knew were people who made mistakes, like you and me. Sometimes they were right, and sometimes I was wrong, and vice versa, and vice versa. This is different, Mikey. This is different. This is not mistakes. This is planning, and this is lying, and this is deed. This is working, this is working here where there nobody can see you and fooling you and hurting you because they're going to hurt you. For this, Rosalie, to meet such a thing, it's not enough just to be right. Rosalie, my kids, Rosalie, you have to be smart. You have to be smart. I'll wait for Papa, please. I'll wait. I'll wait. Oh, Papa, for me, this is not so hard. Papa, for he believed me. He, he took her to his heart. He took Sylvia to his heart, but he knew she was already his child. And Allison, Allison, a man, thought a of work side by side, but why the lying, why? Why the lying? That's what I want to know. Why? Mm-hmm. Right, why the lying? Why the lying? That's what I want to know. And that's what I'll find out right away. I want I Leah and
26: Ed. I want them here. I want to know exactly what they said to Sammy. What they said to make him leave. There's more here than even I know. And I want to know it. Daddy, they'll hear you. Let, it go. Let everybody hear. There's what everybody is going to hear. Let them hear. What kind of a man, am I? How did I permit myself to deceive these people that never harmed me? That never did me a wrong? Why? Call me Ed and call me Leia. I want everything out in the open in front of the Goldbergs. Every wait a little longer, Daddy. How much (laughs) longer do you think I can endure this? Every time the telephone rings in my own house, must I tremble with fear that in some way, somehow the Goldbergs will discover I lied to them? For what reason? Let them know the truth. If Sammy is not here by now, you can be sure he's not coming back. He will come back. Timber! Because you want him to? No, Sylvia. Let us tell the Goldberg you quarreled with Sammy and that he went away. If he comes back, he'll return. But
32: they won't let him marry me then, Daddy. Why? Why?
26: Because you disagree? Because you believe the lies that uh, you say that Leah told him? Why should they blame you? Mrs. Goldberg never liked me. She likes you now.
32: Please, Sylvia,
26: please, I don't understand.
32: Oh, Daddy. Sammy is a
26: fool. No matter what he is, what he believes, what he did, if he loved you, he'll come back. And if he doesn't love you, then... Well, oh. I can't stand this anymore. Your nerves are better than mine. For this... For me, this is too much. I, I want everything out in the open, in front of the goldberg. Oh, no. Everything. No, no, The truth can't hurt you more oh. than a lie will.
32: Oh, oh. Uh, not the um.
26: Come in, Mr. Goldberg. Mr. Um. goldberg. Not, not back
32: there?
26: No, I... I'm waiting for him also. I am
32: also... Oh. You haven't been out all day. Don't you want to take a little drive? No. A little walk? No.
26: Mrs. Goldberg doesn't want to drive, and she doesn't want to walk. Call Ed and tell him and Leah I want them both here immediately. Yes, darling. I, I, you hide me.
32: Ed? That's uh, your son-in-law, hmm?
26: Yes.
32: i never met him, but he has a very familiar voice, something. Some voices you'll never forget.
26: Call Ed, Sylvia.
32: I think
26: I should I do. Sit down, Mrs. Goldberg. Yes. So awful, Where's Rosie?
32: Upstairs.
26: Oh, Mrs. Goldberg, I want to speak to you. the Tell them to call you when it isn't busy. Yes, you
32: can call me back. Mrs. Goldberg. Yes, but Rosie. Mother Goldberg. Uh, no, thank you. Mrs. Oh, Goldberg. Daddy, dear. Daddy, darling. Don't tell Mother Goldberg. She knows all the things you are going to do for us. We don't want it, to, though. We're going to work everything out our own way. And, well, if we just have time, Dan will be back and then we'll talk about the future. Now isn't it time, Daddy here. Now isn't it... Why be... not, Sylvia? You know how your two family future the rest my heart. How much I keep thinking of him and you. If your father has anything to tell me, let me hear. And if you have, that's me weird, because I have so much to tell myself that I... Say?
26: Okay. Ah, I had a wonderful walk. And you, Allison, are uh, also in those? And you, Sylvia, my dear? <laughs> and yes. you, Molly? It's cooked up here in the house. You're not interested in seeing inside,
32: Molly? This is a different world, Molly. Yes, I know.
26: Very different. Different than anything you ever knew? Yes, I know. Allison... You knew where to settle and raise a family, Jake. I have to talk to you. We could talk for the next twenty years. We still have plenty to talk about. I compliment you, Alison. I can't tell you what it means to me to come here and see what luck, what fortune my family is falling into. Jake. Yeah, dear oh. To marry a beautiful girl like Sylvia is enough blessing for any man. But to marry her in kind of father-in-law like you, Alison. That's a double blessing that'll be good for the next ten generations. Yeah, Sylvia? Jake, please. I've got to talk to you. Jake, if Mr. Allison wants to talk to you. Of course, why you, not? Uh, what is it, Alice? Take it. It must be Ed. Oh, what is it, Alice? Just a minute, Jake. Take it, Sylvia.
32: Hello? Yes. Daddy. What is it? Yes. Daddy. What is it? What is it? Daddy, darling. He's back. He's back, Daddy. Sammy,
42: back. Is Sammy really back? If he is, why? Has Sammy returned because he's decided to believe Sylvia and disbelieve the truths that Ed and Leah told? Him?
27: The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. <laughs> Johnson's wax and Johnson's self-polishing glow coat present Marion and Jim Jordan as Liver McGee and Molly with Bill Thompson, the King's Man, and Billy Mills orchestra. The show opens with crazy rhythm. <laughs> for the Women's Club by Fibber McGee. It's entitled, When Knighthood Was the Stuff, or Who Wants to Rassle in the Castle. (laughs) And the curtain has just risen on the third gripping act, where in a gleaming suit of armor, Sir Lancelot is seen talking to the fair Elaine. These two parts, we see by the program, are taken by Fibber McGee and Molly.
24: Lot, do not be so distant. up closer to me, fair knight.
8: Ah,
24: oh, sure. uh, wouldst that thou didst not have to fight the black knight in yon tournament today? I fear me that some harm will perchance come to thou.
43: Say not so, or say not so, to oh. me. Methinks I can best this black knight with one eye tied behind me. Verily, Elaine. He is a peluga, a pushover, forsooth. Ah, there speaketh me old true
24: Lancelot. Yea. Remember, I am banking on you, my fair knight.
43: Ah, yes, bank knight.
24: <laughs> Dost
43: thou not get it, Elaine? Thou said thee are banking on me, and I cometh back with a goodly quip. Ain't
24: funny, Lancelot.
44: <laughs>
43: Gad Zeus! I would fain have done better. Did not these iron pants cramp at my style somewhat?
24: Listen, my Lancelot. Someone approaches the drawbridge. Is that what that was?
44: <laughs>
24: Could it be the man who comes to our house when Papa's gone away?
43: <laughs> Nay, fair maid, it is the Black Knight. And now I must go forth to do battle for thy hand. Hold it now, hold it. For should I fail, must thou perforce be given in marriage to the black knight. Ah,
24: these are troublous times when a maid must wed against her will. Merlin the magician telleth me that he hath looked into the future unto the time when the shotgun will hath supplanted the broad sword to this purpose.
43: (laughs) Merlin, bah, a faker... A reader of tea leaves, forsook. You said
8: it.
43: He is always taking an orange pico into the future.
8: Uh. But
43: I must go forth to battle or battle he lay. <laughs> Aha! He cometh. It is Sir
24: Throckmorton, the Black Knight of Gildersleeve.
43: Four of them. Four Black Knight is I, Sir Lancelot, challenging thou to combat.
44: Oh, yes. Yeah. Good day. Good night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hello, Elaine.
24: Speaketh not to the maid of Astolat, Black Knight, until thou hast bested thy opponent, Sir Lancelot, in mortal
44: combat.
43: Yea. Draw and defend thyself, Violet.
44: The word is Violet, McGee.
43: Huh?
44: Oh, oh yes. Yeah.
24: Draw and defend
44: thyself, Barlett,
24: And may the best man win. Two arms. An egg, two
44: arms. Go to it,
24: Lance me <laughs> me, bully boy. Try your left jab with thy broad sword. Ah, <laughs> uh,
44: Charity, it
24: sounded like a boiler factory. I fear me this flake leg like is louder than yon armor.
43: Now none of your tricks <laughs> now, Gildersleeve.
44: Remember, I'm supposed to win. All right, Peggy. We gotta make this look good, otherwise we'll Cut that out, McGee You stuck me Well, I couldn't help it You're so darn clumsy That's all Well, let me tell you Oh! (laughs) You stop that stuff, McGee Or I'll bang your iron pajamas Into a wad of (laughs) tinfoil All
43: right, you bangy But don't give me any more of your lips
24: Heavenly night or day (laughs) Look at him go, will you?
44: Now look here, landslater I've had about enough of this
24: Ten, out. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the winner in steel champagne, Sir And
43: Now that I have won my hand in fair combat, Elaine, wilt marry me? I wilt indeed, brave Lancelot. Ah,
24: do I wilt.
27: What <laughs> fair
43: maid, thou seemest sad. Thy eyes are drooping. What botherest thou?
24: Tell me, Lancelot, hath America yet been discovered?
43: Nay, not until eight centuries hence.
24: Well, then, how canst thou take thy bride to Niagara Falls? <laughs>
43: Glad that's over. How'd it go,
24: Molly? Well, I think it was wonderful, dearie. It's the best play you ever wrote, I'm sure. Oh, Mr. McGee, oh, what a wonderful performance, really. Oh, you were simply marvelous. Oh, sure. And you, Mr. McGee, you were simply perfect for the part. Oh, thank you, Mrs. Uppington. Do you really think so? Oh, I do indeed. The minute I saw you come out on the stage in that costume, I said to myself, how delightfully she portrays a girl of the middle ages.
44: <laughs>
24: Too middle aged, really.
8: <laughs>
24: no, looky here, Mrs. Uppington.
43: Uh, excuse me, girls. To lay aside my sword and get sorted, Mrs. Uppington. How about the gate receipt? How's we
24: from our financial Oh, splendidly, Mr. McGee. Fine. You know, before we started, the club had a $300 deficit. Now how's the deficit? Oh, now it's $950. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? Oh. The biggest deficit we ever had. Wonderful. Oh, my, I'm so thrilled, really. <laughs> well,
43: how was the audience reaction, Uppy? Good?
24: Oh, now, I was extremely disturbed about that for a time during the second day. Why, Mrs. Upping? Just... Well, the steam radiators were hissing so loudly. And when I ran down to turn them off, there were no radiators. <laughs> oh, really, that was very amusing.
43: Very amusing, huh? It's easy to make some people that. Can you imagine that? Don't feel too
24: badly, dearie. You did your best. I'm hurt. I really do think you overplayed your part a little when you slapped Mr. Gildersleeve down with
43: your sword. (laughs) That was quite a wallop I gave the old boy, wasn't it? I bet he thought he was playing with Olsen and Johnson in Helmets of Poppin'.
44: Oh, (laughs) Oh, 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 here he comes. Oh, look here, McGee.
24: (laughs) Oh, hello, Mr. Gildersleeve. My, you were wonderful as the Black Knight. So realistic,
44: really.
43: I'll say you were, Gildersleeve. I think you've got definite talent. In fact, I I think you'd make a great character actor if you only had a little more character
44: <laughs> and could act.
8: Is that so? Well,
44: what was the idea of knocking me cold in the last act? That baseball bat wasn't in the script, McGee. Well, that was just a sudden inspiration,
43: guilty. <laughs> Did you see that dent in his helmet, Molly? I that was the biggest mean. depression I've seen since nineteen twenty nine.
44: That's enough from you, McGee. Oh yeah. Take off that armor and meet me man to man. I'll. I'll blitzkrieg you. <laughs>
8: oh,
44: here now, Mr. Gildersleeve. That's okay, Molly. That's the way the
43: little boy wants it. Beat it now, Gildersleeve, and I'll meet you outside in five minutes. Oh, no, you won't. I'm going to wait
44: right here for you. Oh, dear.
43: Why do you two always have to
24: be fighting? Why why don't you patch things up, McGee? When I
43: get through with this guy, I won't even be able to patch him up.
44: Why, I'll... I'll... Let me at him. Let me at him.
43: Hey, where's the dingus that unhooks this armor?
44: Here, McGee, let me help you. Don't
43: you dare touch me.
44: Don't
43: dare touch me. Not while I'm in this condition. I'll get out of this my own way. Now, how'd I ever get into this? Thing? Can't you remember, dear? Oh, no, I was so busy rehearsing my lines. Oh. Maybe this is the way. Oh, Don't well.
44: come off that way. What's stalling, you little weasel.
43: You quit rushing me, you big nasty, nasty, nasty stertium. <laughs> now, let me see. Oh, Where was that? Well, you poor lad,
24: is oh. there anything your Molly
43: can do for you, dearie? I guess not. Let me try once more.
44: Take the helmet off first, why don't
43: you? Oh, yeah? Why don't I? How do you get it off?
44: Well, mine wasn't even fastened, but maybe yours screws off like a diver's helmet. Here, let me show you. Hey, oh. get oh. Off. Oh. Twisting my head
43: around. Yeah. What do you think I am,
24: a puppet? The word is puppetry, puppet,
43: theory. Huh? puppet. Well, whatever it is, I ain't one of them. I had better let me think a minute. How can I get this dead rat thing off?
24: Oh, McGee, what are you going to do? Stand here all evening like a can of tomatoes?
43: There's only one thing to do, Molly. I got to find a blacksmith. You come with me, Molly, and hold this sword over my head. What a earth Paul. There's a thunderstorm coming up, and in this outfit, I need a lightning rod. Oh. <laughs>
27: thrill out of driving a beautiful, shiny new automobile? Then listen carefully to what I'm going to tell you about Johnson's Car New. This startling new product will give you almost the same thrill at a trifling cost. You'll admit that the best polish for any car is a wax polish that protects the beauty of the finish. Now, here's a product that both cleans and wax polishes in one easy operation. Eliminates the old-time high cost and hard work. Many car owners write that cleaning and wax polishing took them only about one hour with Carnu. Now, it might take you a little longer if your car is very grimy, but I'll bet you'll end up the job by saying, boy, what a thrill. You just rub Carnu over your car finish, it dries to a white powder, and you wipe off the powder. There's a minimum of work. So buy a can of Johnson's Carnu tomorrow from your regular wax dealer, auto supply store, or filling station. You'll agree with me. Your car looks like new when you use car new.
24: Aren't you getting tired, dearie? We must have walked five miles looking for a blacksmith shop.
43: <laughs> oh, well, I think there's one right around this next corner. Oh, no, there is, McGee.
24: Now, look here, Mr. Gildersleeve. How many times must we tell you to stop following us?
44: Go on home, Gildersleeve. Beat it. Scram. I won't do it. I want to be there when you get that armor off. Well, I wish I could get it off right now, Gildersleeve. I'd show you. Now, run along and quit tagging us. I'll follow you as long as I want to. Uh, this is a free country.
45: Oh, yeah. Well, let me tell you, Gildersleeve... All right, all right. Break it up there. And you, where's your
8: license? <laughs>
45: license for what, officer? For holding a procession inside the city limits. Come on, now. Take down into that chromium cutaway and show me your license. <laughs> That's right, we ain't holding a parade. This is a theatrical costume. Well, why don't you leave your costume in your dressing room, you are Oh. Quit acting like a kid, you scotch. Now be on your way and I'll throw you in the can. Oh, yeah? Where do you think I am now? Come on, Molly.
27: Well, hello there, Molly. Who's your friend in the galvanized (laughs) Jabardine?
24: It's Fibber, Mr. Wilcox. We're looking for a blacksmith shop so we can get him out of it. Yeah, otherwise I'm going to be a knight the rest of my days,
27: Harlow. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a... (laughs) That's a tough spot you're in, pal. Ah, but those knights of the round table had the right idea at that.
24: How so, Mr. Wilcox?
27: Well, they knew that there was nothing like a hard, smooth outer layer of protection.
44: Uh Uh-oh.
43: We will now hear from that polished nobleman, Circassian Walnut.
27: (laughs) Well, gee, it's true. Johnson's Wax gives floors and furniture a suit of armor that gives them positive protection in the battle against dirt and dust and wear and scratches.
24: Uh, Tell me, Mr. Wilcox, uh, did King Arthur use Johnson's Wax on the round
43: table?
27: Why, he must have, Molly. Johnson's Wax is good for round tables, square tables, coffee tables, card tables, (laughs) ping pong tables, kitchen tables, hall tables, night tables, dining tables. Oh, get to
43: the
8: end,
27: Wilcox. Okay, and end tables.
8: (laughs) Oh!
43: Ain't he marvelous, folks? You couldn't dampen that guy's enthusiasm with a fire hose.
27: You sure you don't know where there's a blacksmith shop, Harlow? No, I don't, Sibber. But wait till you read what the newspapers say about that play of yours.
24: Oh. Well, what's that got to do with his getting out of that
27: suit of armor? Plenty. <laughs> He'll feel so small he can crawl out through the visor.
46: <laughs> well, good luck, pal.
24: <laughs> McGee. Huh? Mr. Gildersleeve is still following us. He
43: is? Chuck, if he's got a grudge, why don't he come up to me and fight it out like a man?
24: Oh, now be careful, McGee. Remember, it's his great big bare fist against you and that poor little suit of iron armor. Don't take any chances. Oh. Oh, there, my
45: dear. Who's your friend in the noisy knickers?
24: It's me husband, Mr. Boomer. We're looking for a blacksmith to get him out of the armor.
43: Maybe you're the guy we're looking for, Boomer. As Mr. Roosevelt says to Mrs. Farley... How about the loan of your jimmy
45: for a while? Uh... That's very good, rattle rompers. Very
44: good.
45: I've got exactly the thing for you. You have? Certainly have. Little invention of my own. The little gem can cutter and oyster opener. Guaranteed to open any Pullman window with one smart blow of the glass. Hey, that don't sound bad. Do you think it'll work on me? Why, sleeve garters... One twist of the little gem, and you'll come out of that sardine sarcophagus quicker than a rabbit can. Well, quicker than a rabbit can. Well,
8: come
24: on, trot it out, Mr. Boomer. Trot it out. This time, you've made a say like this.
45: All right, my dear. I have a little gem, a can opener right here someplace. Now, what did I do with that little gem? Let me see. Here's a sprig of mint leaves. Case, I should encounter a leg of lamb. <laughs> a little pop gun I used to pop off my top. Here's a small object, no larger than a man's hand. In fact, that's just what it is.
8: <laughs> <laughs> Looks
45: mighty familiar too. Well, well, it's mine.
8: <laughs>
45: but what was it doing in my pocket? <laughs> Here's a letter that uh, Louis the Lifer asked me to deliver to the governor. It says here, I've been in here for 30 years, and again Roosevelt and Taft and Dewey are going to run for president. I'd like to get out now, if you'll pardon me. This is where I came in. <laughs> and a check for a small portion of Pilchner. Laughter
8: well, well,
45: imagine that. No little gem can opener. Come to think of it, you've done me a good turn, foul fly. What do you mean? I'm going right home and invent the little gem right now. <laughs> good day, my dear, and so long to you, demountable drawers.
27: The King's men sing We Play hooks.
44: We race and run and roll our hoops along. My name they call Louis. Oui, oui. I am the sweetheart of Marie. We live in Cape oui, oui. We're very bourgeoisie. She, Marie, and me, Louise. we nice folks, but folks screw it. Every day we run and run to bring the teacher present. Who's a loud, very smart, and also very pleasant. After school is over, with we do not give a big team play. We, oh, we play hoops. We run, 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 and pass. We to the big fat man, we play hoops in the park all day. Mama, she's gone, she's safe, no, 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 you mustn't knock over the gentleman with the whiskers. We play hoops, we run like that, we run like this, right into nurse and nancy kids.
24: I just saw him duck around the corner.
43: Uh, lucky for him, I can't get this dead-dreaded armor off. I'd pound him flatter than yesterday's beer.
24: That guy don't know what
43: he's up against tackling me,
24: Molly. Oh, well, that's human nature, McGee, yeah. going up against hopeless odds. Just think of the man who ate the first lobster, dearie.
43: <laughs> I still don't see any blacksmith shops, Molly. <laughs> What are horses wearing nowadays, anyway? Bedroom
45: slippers?
24: <laughs> ah, you poor lad! You must be simply worn out, dragging around in that pile of scrap iron. We're right near our house. Why don't you go home and lie down
43: a while? Hey, that's not a bad idea, Molly. After I get a rest, maybe I can remember how... Well, hello there, daughter. Who's the rummy and the
8: rivets?
44: <laughs>
24: well, this is Mr. McGee, Mr. Oldtimer.
43: Timer. eh? How'd you ever get in there, Johnny? <laughs> Just over it in my diet, Old Timer. Didn't have enough iron in my system, and now I got too much system in my iron.
8: Wow.
45: <laughs> That's pretty good. I don't get it. Well, he had to wear this costume in
24: a stage play, Mr. Oldtimer. He was very much on his mettle, and uh, vice versa. <laughs>
45: Now, that's pretty good, daughter. I so. But that ain't the way I heard it. Oh, the way I heard it, one feller says, feller say, he says, <laughs> it won't be long now till all them political candidates start calling each other names over the radio. They were smart. They'd all take a tip from this program and use Johnson's wax on all their platforms. <laughs> what do you mean, says feller. Well, says the first feller... You know what Wilcox says. Dirt can't cling to a Johnson waxed surface.
8: <laughs>
45: well, it's commercial, but it's cute.
43: <laughs> hey, Johnny. Yeah? You gonna be wearing that
24: suit
45: of heavy overwear all day? <laughs> Well, it looks like you'd have to, Mr. Oldtimer. Why? Well, I'm going to make some fudge tonight, and I'll give him 50 cents to come over and roll on the walnut.
8: <laughs> <laughs> you
45: think it over, Johnny. So long, daughter.
44: <laughs> that old twerp,
43: he's got more silly notions than a five- and ten-cent store. Oh, boy, am I tired. Man, Man all day
24: we're almost home, dearie, and I'll make you a nice cup of tea. And then I'll look in the classified directory for somebody to get you out of that thing.
43: <laughs> Might be a good idea to start looking under filing systems.
44: <laughs> Otherwise, I
43: don't know how to... Miss. Hi, mister. Oh, hello there, little girl. Hey, I seen you at our play
46: tonight. How'd you like it? Well, I attended the play in my professional capacity, of actress.
43: <laughs> what do you mean?
46: Well... I'm the dramatic editor of our kindergarten paper, and I have to see all the plays. Good, bad, and no different. Well,
43: professionally then, sis, what'd you think of the underlying premise of our production?
46: The underlying premise... Hmm?
43: <laughs> what'd you think of the show?
46: Oh, well, I have always thought that the Days of knighthood was a very romantic period.
43: Oh, yeah, well, what'd you think of my performance?
46: Well, I thought you were very unromantic. Period.
43: Don't you think I was pretty impressive in this suit of armor?
46: (laughs) Gee, that's funny. (laughs) That's just what Willie Toops asked me.
43: Oh, he did, eh? Mm -hmm. He asked you uh, what you thought of me in my armor, eh? Sure. And what did you say? (laughs) Oh, come on, say. I can take it. (laughs) Flattery don't turn my head. (laughs) What'd you tell Willie Toops about me in my armor?
46: Do I have to? Sure. <laughs> Why? Well, oh, I, I said, confidentially, Willie.
8: Uh-huh.
46: He clinks.
43: <laughs> Fresh kid. You know, Molly, I still think she's a midget.
44: <laughs> <laughs> well goodness for home. Ah, there, McGee. Oh, dear. I've been waiting for you. Oh, my. Oh, so you haven't got that armor off yet, eh? That's a
43: pretty acute
44: observation, Gildersleeve.
43: (laughs) Now, out of my way before I flatten your arches with these iron
44: oxfords. You're a hard man, McGee. (laughs) But wait till you climb out of that chafing dish. You'll be sorry. Is that so? Yes, that's so. Oh, yeah? Yeah.
24: Say, uh, Writes that snappy dialogue for you, boy. Is it Noel Coward?
43: Why should I waste any brilliant epigrams on this lowbrow? Well, Come on, Molly, let's. Hey, wait a minute. Wait.
44: Quick. Lock the door.
10: It's locked.
43: Now, let me see. If I jiggle this little gadget on the shoulder here. Unhook the front. Slide the helmet back. What? Oh. Oh. Flick the whistle. Ha! Boy, is that a relief. Ha! Give me the evening paper, Molly. Here.
24: And here's your specs, dearie. But say, look here, McGee. Hmm? If you could take that armor off so easily, why didn't you do it at the theater?
43: What? And get my block
44: knocked off? <laughs> McGee! Have you got that armor off yet? Huh? Oh,
43: yes. I got the armor off, but I got my glasses on now. <laughs> Good night, Black
27: Knight. Fibber and Molly will be back in just a moment. Which room in your house is used most? Well, it's probably your kitchen. That's where you have to spend a great many hours. It's a room that's mighty important to the whole family. Then, shouldn't the kitchen be as bright and cheerful as you can make it? Now, there are many things you can do to accomplish this. But nothing will help more than to keep your linoleum floors glistening and spotless with Johnson's self-polishing glow coat. And nothing will save you as much work as glow coat. This easy-to-use polish needs no rubbing or buffing at all. You simply pour it onto your floor, spread it around, and it polishes itself in 20 minutes while it's drying. Glow coat gives a beautiful polish that's long-lasting and easy to keep clean. Filled things wipe up easily with a damp cloth. Many users write us that Glowcoat makes linoleum last six times longer than unprotected surfaces. And, of course, Glowcoat does away with old-fashioned floor scrubbing. Buy a can of Glowcoat tomorrow. It's spelled glo hyphen
8: Folks,
43: next Sunday is not only dedicated to mothers, it is also National Hospital Day. In honor of the birthday of Florence Nightingale the founder of Modern Nursing.
24: Yes, so may we suggest you pay a visit to your hospital and uh, get acquainted with your most helpful neighbors.
43: And don't forget, it's the men and women in white we turn to when everything looks black.
24: Good night. Good night, all.
27: This is Harlow Wilcox, speaking for the makers of Johnson Black and Johnson's self polishing glow Coats, inviting you all to join us again next Tuesday night. Good night. This is the National Broadcasting Company.
36: Ladies and gentlemen, the railroad hour. And here comes the star-studded show train. Tonight, the Association of American Railroads presents Florence Eichfeld's musical success, Sally. Starring Gordon McRae and his two guests, Marion Bell and Jack Kirkwood. Our choir is under the direction of Norman Luboff, and our music is prepared and conducted by Carmen Dragon. Yes, tonight another memorable musical hit is brought to you transcribed by the American Railroads. The same railroads that bring you most of the food you eat, the clothes you wear, the fuel you burn, and all the other things you use in your daily life. And now, here is our star, Gordon McRae. Gordon McRae.
47: Thank you, Marvin Miller, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We're looking for a silver lining tonight, and we all expect to find it in Jerome Kern's great music for Sally.
8: Let's take our Sally away from the
47: alley. The Sally of our alley is Charming Little Marion Bell. So don't be surprised if I fall in love with her in the next 30 minutes. I'm Blair Farquhar, a poor, unfortunate guy with only a couple of million bucks in the bank. Jack Kirkwood plays the Grand Duke Constantine, whom we meet back in the little country of Chequergovinia. The the they're
8: all just as wild as can be.
18: Reason or rhyme, you may find it far
22: wiser to flee. Konstantin, Grand Duke of Czechoslovakia. That's me. Revolution. We have found out about you and Madame Nukarova.
20: No. What did you find out?
22: That you bought her a string of pearls with the taxpayers' money.
20: Oh, is that all? <laughs> For a minute I thought there was going to be a scandal.
22: You are deposed.
17: You are now a fugitive, an exile.
47: A bum. <laughs> Of course, I didn't know anything about Balkan revolutions in those days, and when I dropped into a New York restaurant for a bite of lunch, I didn't have any idea that the man who was waiting on me had once been the Grand Duke of Czechoslovakia. Waiter! Waiter! Yes, sir? Would you please clear off these dishes and bring me some food? No, clear off the dishes. All
20: right. What are you doing? Well, if I don't smash him, I have to wash him And I hate that They've hired a dishwasher, but she isn't here yet
47: Well, bring me your number three special Uh, Yes, sir, right away, sir Oh, what a restaurant Hello Well, hello
40: Are you the proprietor?
47: No, no, I'm just a poor, unfortunate customer Won't you sit down, have lunch with me?
40: Oh, no, I can't
47: Why not? Don't you eat?
40: Sure, but uh, I'm just the dishwasher. Isn't that awful?
47: Well, don't worry. Things are bound to look up. There's a
12: bright side to everything.
40: Even to dishpans?
12: Sure. Please don't be offended if I preach to you a while. Tears are out of place in eyes that were meant to smile. There's a way to make your very biggest trouble small. A happy secret of it. is shining and so the right thing to do is make it shine for you a heart of joy and gladness will always banish the sad
47: What's your name? Sally. My name's Blair Farquhar. <laughs> Is that a mouthful? <laughs> oh,
40: I like it. And I'm going to remember everything you told me. As I wash my dishes, I'll be following your plan Till I see the brightness in
23: every pot and pan I am sure your point of view will ease the daily grind So I'll keep repeating in my mind.
40: dishes now. Goodbye, Mr. Farquhar.
47: Good luck, Sally. Okay. Here's your lunch, sir. Thank you, waiter.
20: Are, uh, are you Mr. Farquhar the well-to-do millionaire? He's my father. Oh. Well, I'm, I... I understand he's giving a party tonight in honor of the Grand Duke of Checarcovinia.
47: Will you be there? Not if I can help it. I understand the Duke is a stupid bore. Oh. <laughs> Have Do you want your dessert now? No, thanks I I don't care for any dessert You're a lucky boy (laughs) You know, in all that high society There won't be one girl as pretty As your new dishwasher Hmm, I didn't notice Is she beautiful?
20: Why, she's Juliet Cinderella Hey, you sound like you're falling in love with her Maybe I am
12: She's somehow different from the rest I can't describe her quite She seems to be just right She won my heart at sight It matters not how she is dressed I want to hold her tight She is the darling of my heart and I met her in the alley And on some future day, to her I mean to serve. Though the dress that you wear is a poor affair, you made me care. And I know someday that I mean to tell her all my golden schemes. We shall find the world of happiness where the sun ever beams. And then I'll take My Sally, away from... Sally, away from the alley, to my
8: wonderful. Of She's me. the
12: darling of his heart.
47: Oh, I can see the headlines. Millionaire falls in love with dishwasher. Do you think maybe I've got some soap in my eye?
20: So, you are the new dishwasher. Well? You're not pretty. You're beautiful.
40: Thank you. You're cute, too. (laughs) Oh. What's your name?
20: Konstantin Alexandrovich Fedor Gregorovich. What's yours? Sally. Sally. (laughs) <laughs> you've got short-changed uh, Sally, do you want me to help you do the dishes? Uh,
40: you've got a job, mister <clears throat> Constantine, the towel We are
20: deeply honored
40: Are you helping? I'll, I'll be through twice as fast
20: <laughs> Even faster if I break a few, eh?
40: <laughs> <laughs> oh, gee I wonder if I'll ever see him again Who, Sally? Blair Farquhar.
20: Oh, I'm going to a party at his mansion tonight. Really? Yes. You see, I'm actually the Grand Duke of Chekhargovinia.
40: Gee. Mm -hmm. I wish I could go. Then I'd get to see Blair again.
20: I've got it.
40: What have you got?
20: Sally, I'm going to escort you to that party as Madame Nukarova.
40: Uh, madam, who? The the, the
20: famous singer, the Cechargovinia Nightingale
40: Oh, what if she finds out?
20: She's back in (laughs) Cechargovinia She'll never know
40: Gee, I'll put my hair up on top of my head And and wear false eyelashes and...
20: You better wear a little more than that, I think (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, I'm taking an awful chance what if they find out that you're a dishwasher? Or
40: what if they find out that you're a waiter?
20: Mm, you've got a point. It's a deal. We'll go to that party together. The Duke and Duchess of Dishpans.
40: <laughs> oh, honey, you're an angel. Just wait and see. I'll, I'll get out of those soaps at yet. Oh!
36: We'll return for the second act of Sally in just a moment. But first, last Thursday night, the four cities of Davenport, Iowa, and Rock Island, Moline, and East Moline, Illinois, celebrated an event in their history which marked a milestone in the growth of American unity. For there, just 94 years ago, the first locomotive steamed across the first railroad bridge to span the mighty Mississippi River, binding together east and west with bands of iron. In the same month in which the bridge was opened, a river steamboat rammed it, and both steamboat and bridge were burned. Suit was brought to prevent the rebuilding of the bridge on the ground that it was an obstacle to navigation. To represent the railroad came a then little-known Illinois lawyer, Abraham Lincoln. And in that suit, in which there was established the principle that bridges carrying railroad tracks might be thrown across navigable waters, Abraham Lincoln made one of his first great contributions to a united America. Last week's celebration in the four cities which have grown up where railroad tracks first crossed the Mississippi recalled the dramatic story of the struggles to get railroads built in the 1850s. And today, as the 1950s begin, this nation needs its railroads more than ever. The building of those railroads made it possible to settle and civilize a continent. Their services today are an integral part of the marvel of American production. For even in the midst of the richness of today's transportation facilities it remains as true as ever it was that the railroads furnish the basic transportation of the nation, essential to its continued prosperity and peace, to its safety in war. Here's Act Two of Jerome Kern's Sally, starring Gordon McRae as Bear Farquhar, with Jack Kirkwood as the Grand Duke and Marion Bell as Sally. Let's
23: take our Sally away from the alley.
47: That night we had a party at our Fifth Avenue mansion in honor of the Grand Duke of Chekhovinia. And when the famous singer Madame Nukarova walked in, he could have knocked me over with a ball from dukedom because she was a dead ringer for my little dishwasher, Sally.
40: Ah, Monsieur Farquhar. Bonsoir, bonsoir, bonsoir.
47: Madame Nukarova, one thing astonishes me. Uh, you you and the Duke, you look very familiar.
40: Oh, perhaps we met in uh, Europe, yes, when I was overthrowing a kingdom.
47: Is it true, Madame, that you were the woman who caused 11 Balkan revolutions? Oh,
40: 12? Who's counting?
47: It's amazing. Such a beautiful girl, and yet such a firebrand. You'll
40: pardon in our intrusion,
23: our confusion is sublime.
18: We've never, ever met a girl
23: like you. I must admit I'm rather unconventional, a type that must appear as all confused. You're like splendid flower, not from our domestic pine, an orchid that can thrill us with delight. I'm not a blossom so original, an orchid bloom would not describe me quite. You're nothing tame, you're like a burning flame, we know your name. You do? Well, all the same. I'm just a wild rose, not a primate mild rose. Pay me if you can, I'm a rose. I'm just a wild, wild rose. some passion flows. this is your hour, who'll get me, no one knows, I'm just a wild, 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 wild,
8: wild Man
47: Madam Nukarova, would you come and walk with me in the garden? Oh. There's something I, I want to tell you.
40: Oh, I'll be delighted to see your garden.
47: It's astonishing how much you look like a friend of mine. A dishwasher.
40: Ah, uh-huh. uh, this little dishwasher. She is nice. Ah, uh,
47: I think you're prettier. Oh,
40: it's the moon in heaven. Oh, that lovely bird.
47: It's a whippoorwill. There's a nest of them in the willows.
40: You know, I I wish I were a whippoorwill. When I was a little girl, I I used to listen to the whippoorwill and, and dream of living in a garden just like this.
23: Whippoorwill.
12: bird really had the right idea.
47: going on inside. Ah.
32: Silence!
20: My Highness will not endure this humiliation.
32: Oh, His Highness, really.
13: Here's that tip, Your
40: Highness. (laughs) Connie, what's wrong? What's happened, Connie?
20: Oh, Sally, they found out about me.
22: He's no Grand Duke. He's nothing but a waiter in a restaurant.
20: Well, I have to do something to put some money in the pot, boy.
47: (laughs) <laughs> you're a lousy waiter, and you're even lousier as a Grand Duke.
40: <laughs> oh, you should be ashamed of yourself. Uh, Madame Nukarova. I'm not Madame Nukarova. I'm just a dishwasher. Sally. Oh, as long as you thought we were fancy pants foreigners, you were nice to us. But you laugh as soon as you find out we have to work for a living. But, Sally,
47: we, we didn't you mean. You
40: think it. we're phonies. Well, I think you're a lot bigger phonies than we are. Oh, come on, Connie. Let's get back to the soap,
8: side.
47: Well, when Sally and the Duke marched out of our party that night, I figured I'd never see her again. But I figured wrong. For beauty and talent like Sally's couldn't hide forever behind a stack of dirty dishes. One of the biggest producers on Broadway discovered her and put her in a musical. And behind those footlights, Sally really found her silver lining. <laughs>
20: Congratulations, Sally. It was a great show.
40: Was I all right, Your Highness? Oh,
20: you're a big star, Sally. You've got him right in the bottom of your dishpan. Oh,
40: I should be happy, but he didn't come.
20: No, Blair. No, but after the party, you said you never wanted to see him again.
40: Oh, Your Highness, when a girl says that, she wants to see him twice as much. Oh.
20: Mm. Okay, Sally. You wait right here in your dressing room. I'll find that guy if I have to scour New York. If I have to scour the United States. If I have to scour the world. Hello, Sally. Quick scouring job.
40: (laughs) Blair.
47: Congratulations, Sally. I think everybody in the theater loved you almost as much as I do.
40: You're you're sure you wouldn't love me more if I were a notorious woman who who starts a revolution every Wednesday? Oh, Sally,
47: it's you I love. Will you marry me? No. Why not?
40: That's what every girl's supposed to say the first time she's asked.
47: Well, what do you say the second time?
40: (laughs) Why don't you try it and see?
47: All right. Will you marry me, Sally? Um, Maybe. What happens the third time?
40: Oh, well, don't stop now. <laughs> Try it and find out. Sally,
47: will you marry me? <laughs> of
40: course I will.
47: Wonderful. I promise you one thing, Mrs. Farquhar.
40: Oh, what's that, Mr. Farquhar?
47: After we're married, I'll always help you do the dishes.
12: <laughs> and we'll look
40: for
47: Marion Bell and Jack Kirkwood will be back in just a moment. And our thanks to Paul Fries for his part in tonight's performance. Sally, with booking lyrics by Guy Bolton and Clifford Gray, and music by Jerome Kern, was dramatized for The Railroad Hour by Lawrence and Lee. The Railroad Hour is brought to you each week at this time by the American Railroads. All through this broad land of America, there are things to see, places worth traveling to see. All through the year, and especially in the vacation season, there are observances and celebrations to add special interest to the scenic and historic spots of the nation. And wherever you go, and whenever you go, there are railroad trains to take you there and to bring you back in swift comfort and unparalleled safety. And now here again are Marion Bell and Jack Kirkwood. (laughs) Marion, you sang Sally just as beautifully as you sing Nadina in The Chocolate Soldier.
40: Thank you, Gordon.
47: I was down to see you at the Philharmonic last week, Marion.
40: I know, Jack. I heard you laughing.
20: (laughs) How did she recognize me?
40: (laughs) 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 Who's on the show train next week, Gordon?
47: Well, Lucille Norman will be singing the title role of the Pink Lady. And I'll be a Parisian playboy.
20: How about this, Mike Gray?
47: One week he's a New York millionaire, and the next week he's a Parisian playboy. What are you trying to prove? Well, it's... uh... It's a good way to put some money in the pot, boy
20: (laughs) Good night, you thief
47: (laughs) All aboard Well, it looks as though we're ready to pull out And so, until next week, goodbye
36: Sally was transcribed in Hollywood and presented by special arrangement with the Tams Whitmark Music Library. Gordon McRae is currently being seen starring in the Warner Brothers Technicolor musical hit, The Daughter of Rosie O'Grady. Our choir is under the direction of Norman Luboff, and our music is prepared and conducted by Carmen Dragon. This is Marvin Miller saying goodbye until next week for The American Railroads. And now keep tuned for your Monday Night of Music on NBC.
23: Oh, oh, oh.
1: Eleanor Stieber stars on Voice of Firestone, here at Next on NBC.
0: Thank you for listening. We hope you'll return next week for the old-time radio daytime shows. Be sure to listen to our other programs on the Strangers and Pilgrims podcast.